Hello and welcome to the Ham Radio Crash Course Podcast. I am Josh Nass, amateur radio call sign KI6NAZ. And this is Leah Nass, KN6NWZ. And we like to talk about ham radio, among many other things. So come along with us, won't you? Hello, Leah. How are you this week? This has been a pretty fun week. It yeah. feels like we're coming out of the panoramic. Mm-hmm. Well, whether we want it to happen or not, it is happening. Yeah. <laughs> the, the traffic has gone back to full effect. So it's the, it's the worst of all situations. I'm both wearing a mask all the time at work and then sitting in traffic for over an hour. <laughs> At least when we were peak pandemic, there was nobody else on the road. So I was just oh, yeah. flying in and out of work. But anyway, that's just my complaining. So you <laughs> go back to your good, your, your happy week you've been having. Well, the boys have gotten a chance to do a lot more fun things, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're back at parks. We're back going to the library. Uh, so it's it's great. It's in time for summer. We're back going to knots. Mm-hmm. And today I went to the store called oh. Bricks and Mini Figs. Okay. Because okay. this is a Lego house. Okay? It is a Lego house. <laughs> this yes. is. This is. I the, brought Legos to this house. All my Legos came from with when me. you were a kid. Yeah. And then the kids every birthday, every holiday, they just get Lego. Just yes. Lego and Lego and Lego. And we've done the Legoland vacation. We have done that. Which, uh, if you stay at the Legoland Hotel, there is a treasure hunt for you to open a treasure box, mm-hmm. which inside is Legos for you to take home. <laughs> More Legos. <laughs> so bricks and minifigs. And mm-hmm. and though we've been to Legoland and the Lego stores and all those things, bricks and minifigs is this amazing franchise mm-hmm. that sells uh minifigure kits pre-built minifigures uh all a multitude of all of the lego Lego sets sets. and you they they also have the lego stand for you to put your minifigures on for Mm -hmm. display limited edition stuff but they also buy legos back what and they sell used kits so they make sure everything that's supposed to be in your kit is in the kit. Oh, well, and then you we can can't do that. Buy it at a discount. <laughs> we have, uh, there's no kits in our house anymore. No, it's just bins Piles, and bins, bins of and Legos. Bins. Was... But I did ask the guy for a hot tip mm-hmm. on how you should be organizing your Legos. Mm-hmm. Because I've done, the, I've actually sat down and organized I know by color. It's crazy. It, was, it was a bad idea. Bad, horrible. Just a complete I, I, waste of time. I said that from the get-go, and you're mm-hmm. like, no, I'm doing it. I'm like, okay. It was so, so aesthetic. No, oh, it was horrible. <laughs> what did he say? By shape. Sure. Regardless of color, you group all of the shapes yeah, together. that makes sense. Yeah. So you'd like your long squares, you know, the yeah. rectangles, if you will. Long square. So that's going to be the boys' summer project. Oh, I have geez. so many summer projects for these kids. These but. kids have too much fun. I think they have too much fun, Leah. Do you think sorting Legos is fun? <laughs> I, I used to do it. That's kind of what I did. I remember think... when my Legos were all sorted? Remember there was a time when that was all a thing? <laughs> I sorted by what set they came from. Sure. Pirates and castles mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Anyway, this is the Hammer Crash Course podcast. <laughs> Thanks again for coming out and listening. 
We got a big a weekend. We're rolling into the YouTube Ham Fest is this weekend for those of you that are listening. When this, yeah, I live. thought for sure you were going to correct me when I said this is the house that Legos built. To no, this is the house that Ham Radio built. Well, <laughs> but okay, the walls have Legos in them, Leah. Oh my god, <laughs> such good insulators. <laughs> Just keep that in mind. Uh, yeah, so the YouTube Ham Fest is happening this weekend. YouTubersHamFest.com is where you go for all the information. There is a playlist, and the hot tip with playlists is you go to the playlist, whichever one is live at the time, whenever you pull it up, you click on it, and then you just leave that window open, and it will go from video to video on whatever the on next one is the playlist is. YouTube ham radio tour. It's, it's awesome. You don't have to do anything. You just pull the playlist up, click the video, and it'll take you along. So is it like a, a three journey. a three-hour tour? Oh, no. It's a three-day tour. It's a three-day tour. <laughs> and Saturday and Sunday are the largest days, without a doubt. I will be streaming Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. What? That's right. Three days. I have... I was really not informed about <laughs> yeah. this. <laughs> uh, I am interviewing Chameleon and Tennis, who have been doing a lot of uh, reviews with Chameleon and Tennis recently. They're doing... Kama, 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 chameleon. Just like that. That's their slogan, actually. Yeah. You R F and go. <laughs> You are F and go. Uh, I will also be talking to the Ham Radio Outlet. We're doing a full hour with Ray Novak. Uh, Steve, You're talking to the whole outlet? The whole outlet. Wow. Via one person. Though. Okay. One person representing the whole outlet. I was going to say, mm-hmm. if walls could talk. Mm, yes. <laughs> uh, then we'll have ICOM on. That is all off ICOM, but Ray Novak representing right, ICOM America. That would be really difficult because ICOM is actually a Japanese company. <laughs> ICOM America, Ray Novak will be representing. And for that video, that's going to be a lot of fun because we're having Hammer Radio Outdoors, Steve, K5ATA and Mike K8MRD is going to be on. So it's in a little, it's a little oh, smaller man. panel so that we can hopefully get through a lot of fun questions with, with, uh, with Ray and that should be a lot of fun. And then Sunday, bunch of fun bit, dudes. Yeah. Bit of a podcast, uh, connection here. I'm having George from the ham radio workbench on, on Sunday. Wow. And he's going to talk about oscilloscopes. I'm so Ooh. jacked about having George on. George is super smart. He is, you know, for everybody that likes the the podcast where they actually talk about complex, detailed things, that's that what George is, does. Yeah. That's what George does <laughs> on uh, Ham Radio Workbench. And I just can't wait to talk to him about oscilloscopes because that's actually one area. When you get right down to it, I'm a software engineer, so I don't mm-hmm. have a double E background. I can break out a breadboard. I can follow a schematic, but I can't. I don't know what to do with an oscilloscope. Are you replacing me on the podcast? No, it's it's a live stream. <laughs> it's a live stream. It's just a live stream. Try video. talking to him about Skyline Chili. Okay. <laughs> I, hey, I get it. Okay, I get it. I understand. You know, I'm not I'm not replacing you. Don't worry. Uh, yeah, so that's going to be a lot of fun. He can move in and do the dishes and stuff. Though. That's yeah. fine. <laughs> now, that's that's one thing. So please go check that out if you could. We we would really appreciate it. The other thing that's going on is we're trying to build up to field day. So a lot of the podcasts that you're going to be hearing come out, the show topics and the major little plot points that we go through is going to be heavy into field day. As field day is, without a doubt, the coolest event, at least my favorite event. Oh, I like the jamboree. It's just not as much activity. 
I'm with you. Jamboree's great, but Field Day is everyone. Like, there's so many people involved with Field Day. And everybody kind of goes at it from a different angle. There's emergency preparedness folks. There's clubs that just want to get out and get set up. There's people that just work at home. Adam's going to be activating from a summit. Of course he is. Of course he is. (laughs) Where else would he be? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Uh, So you get the idea. Anyway, so we're building up to that, and I'm going to use the Ham Radio Minute, which is going to be focused on field day for just quick tip and then the main sure. body of the show we're going to talk a little bit deeper but today will not be a minute today's ham radio minute is never a minute that's right <laughs> is field day prepping specifically we're talking about logging okay. what logging <laughs> Oh, sorry. I was stuck on the comment about Adam, and then I was thinking about him milling the wood for his oh, yeah, Adirondack yeah. chair. Yeah, yeah. So again, you're, not- <laughs> uh, you're going to need a double bit axe. Um, <laughs> you're going to have to know how to girdle a tree. You're going to have to find the tree, of course, that you want to bring down. Um, and then, you know, anyway, that's, that's a whole other podcast. Logging is very important on field day. And I really encourage you if you can, if you have the ability, if you have a computer with you, consider using a specialized application to do logging. Such as? Well, I'll get that. I'll get to that. I love pen and paper. I think it's great. I love applications like Hammers, which is a iOS, Android, Mac OS, and Windows application for logging. All very good stuff. And you could totally log on that. That would be fine. I, however, when at all possible, have a connected uh, computer to my radio. That way, the logging software can pull in data, like what frequency I'm operating on, what mode I'm operating in, and also you can have custom log sheets built for the event you're doing. Case in point, N3FJP is the logger I use. I also use Ham Radio Deluxe. They're both very good. N3FJP is a very simple Spartan logging software relatively inexpensive it's fifty dollars at least when i bought it like two or three years ago i bought the the entire package you get i think it's 50 60 bucks and with that you can download all of their logging applications and they make an application for every major ham radio event and what this does is it allows you to not have to worry about all the fields that you type in it lays it all out for you so it's going to say, it's going to say your call sign. It's going to say, what's your uh, ARRL district that they're in? What are you working as? Or, you know, you're going to have to type in what you're working as, and it reminds you on the screen, and then you're going to type in the exchange information for what the other person on the contact is operating in. So they're a one alpha, right? Or a two Bravo, whatever. I'm sure I've got my, my numbers all screwed up. So that's much faster than trying to yes. log everything. Trying to write it down or trying to type it into an application that's not formed specifically for something like field day. And again, it pulls from your radio. So as you change bands, as you move around, the logger's just keeping right up with you. So it knows exactly where you made the contact on. It tags it for time, makes it very, very simple. So I recommend you check out and 3FJP, I'm not affiliated with any of these applications, by the way, or Ham Radio Deluxe. I know there are others. N1MM is another one that people really, really like. And there is advanced tactics for logging that I have talked about in some of my live streams and videos, like um, one logbook for the entire group. If you've got like five people and they all have computers, you can network all your logs together. Ooh. Really, really nice. That's an, a bit of an advanced thing. We're well beyond a Ham Radio Minute at this point, but that's my tip. Try to leverage your logging and speed up your QSOs that way. Okay, 
moving on to what we're drinking today, we've got a fun story on this one. So we received a box. This box came from Charlie. And we're just Charlie gonna, is a longtime yep, friend. We're going to thank you very HRCC. much, Charlie. Thank you, Charlie. He has some information in there that we're not going to read, but he says, Josh and Leah, hope the package makes it to you okay. I'm not a fan of seltzer waters. I always thought White Claws lacked flavor. I kind of agree. Or they're too just mono flavor, like enjoy some blackberry or whatever the... I don't like the aftertaste of a lot of hard seltzers. Which is odd, because you want it to be very crisp, right? And very light-bodied, so it just disappears. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he says, Every other spiked seltzer my wife brought home I never liked. That is, is until she brought home ranch water. So, Charlie sent us four examples, four flavors of ranch water hard seltzer. Did you drink one without me? I have a story about that. We'll get to that. <laughs> it is made with 100% agave, natural lime juice, and this one is the spicy one I'm holding, which has jalapeno flavors. Ooh. So, he sent four. We opened already the original hard seltzer. There is a, a Rio Red grapefruit and then the spicy. And I'll continue. Ranch water is actually a really simple cocktail tequila. It's basically Topo Chico and lime. This stuff is very close to a remake, and sometimes I like it better than the original. I think uh, there's a word in there I didn't get. I think that's another uh, name of a drink. I'm a fan of three out of the four flavors. I'm not a fan of the spicy. I thought this brand of ranch water was only found in Texas. But I just uh, went fishing, or I watched a fishing video where they bought some in Arkansas. Hopefully, I'll be able to find it in Arkansas when we complete our move over Memorial Day weekend. Hope all is well with you and your kids. Your podcasts are still my favorite to listen to. Hope the kids enjoy the mac and cheese. And yeah, he did the pro move of putting two boxes of mac and cheese (laughs) in the box for shipping purposes. Uh, There is a PS, but that is just for us. So thanks again, Charlie, on that. So here's the funny story. Charlie is uh, was a no-joke packer of these beverages. <laughs> they were double-bagged, oh individually double-bagged, <gasps> then individually wrapped in bubble wrap, and then placed in like a bubble wrap cocoon that was in the box. Okay? Oh, my God. Char- okay, so Charlie, I know how much work it takes to package things, so that is amazing. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, Charlie, you did a great job. Such a good job that after the second one, I was getting frustrated. Oh, So I no. pulled out a box cutter. No. And I thought that if I just go along the body of it with the, with the box cutter, not hard, uh, it won't puncture the can. And it didn't. It, it didn't for a while. <laughs> but then the prickly pear can of, of no, I would ranch really like water. To try prickly um, pear. I, I I went a little too close to the sun, uh, like Icarus did, and popped her open uh, right on my ham radio workbench, <gasps> and shot a nice little blast right in the face of the seven oh five. Wow! So it's fine. Everybody's fine. I did have to drink that one immediately. <laughs> you shotgun? I didn't. I, I put my thumb over it and ran inside, got myself a glass of ice, and poured it out. It was very good. By the oh, way, man. it was very good. I I can only say I like it more than the original we're drinking, but the original is very good. When and an original doesn't imply just straight up seltzer water with booze in it. It's actually agave and lime juice with booze in it. 
That's it, the flavor. It's I, very I mean, good. it tastes um, it tastes like a vodka club soda with lime, actually. Yeah, but this is like tequila, right? It's, and I think that adds a little bit of depth of flavor to it. Mm-hmm. It's very good. It it tastes like a mixed drink, though. It doesn't taste like you know how the hard seltzers don't taste like they are a mixed vodka club soda yeah exactly it tastes like a cocktail yes it does they remind what's that one you always get the cut water Mm -hmm. you get cut water a lot it's got a cut water type of flavor to it but those are a cocktail and this is more cocktail-esque without being heavy i like this yeah this is this is a good um, good recommendation. It doesn't by yeah, oh, it doesn't have any artificial flavor right. taste to it. It tastes real. Yeah. Now that's because these are all eighty calories, and I'm holding a white claw. Oh, white, white claw's, claws 100, 100. Cal- hundred. Yeah. Whoa. Okay, so this is less calories than a white claw. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Charlie. Yeah, thank you. That's killer. As we open up others, we'll we'll mention it. Yes. As we go on the podcast, because we're still enjoying Absolutely. the first one. Okay. Very good. Leah, what have... Oh, no, we're going to do the, the, the reviews there. Join the conversation by leaving a review on iTunes for the Ham Radio Crash Course podcast. You just search for Ham Radio Crash Course podcast and you can find it. We do love it when you give us a review over on iTunes. You know, a five-star review and leave your comments would be great. And or emailing us at leah at hamtactical.com. Leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts will help the Ham Radio Crash Course reach more hams and future hams. And we appreciate it. With that said, we did not get a written review on iTunes this week, so oh, we'll man. be skipping that segment. If anybody wants to drop us a review over there, we would appreciate it. So with that said, Leah, what have you been using this week? Okay. This is not so, Prepper's Corner. This is just right. you talking about, or us talking about, cool things we've been using during the week. Yes. Okay. Yes. So we're gearing up for summer, right? Okay. Sure. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe not so much. You have a lot of travel planned this summer, actually. I do. But sans family. <laughs> right. So. so I'm gearing up for summer. Ham so, radio summer. Yes, exactly. So I've got to do uh, this this bang up summer for the kids, right? Really without any help of camps or... <laughs> Adults uh, that you can say, take my children. Well, no, I do have adults that I can say take my children, but... But ones that you pay and you don't feel... Right, right. Uh, <laughs> ...upset about putting them off, right? Right. And I debated this back and forth. Mm-hmm. Is a specific video game <laughs> that you used to be addicted to. Shelby, my sister, more than anybody, but... Yeah, yeah, and I was addicted to it, too. Okay. I mean, the game is built so that you basically need to check in at least twice a day. Uh, at least, yeah. Yeah, I would say. I mean, you could easily get lost in this game. You can't, huh? It's not a big town. You can't get lost. No, not not physically lost, but you could lose hours playing this sure. game. Yes, yes. So I was hesitant to have the kids play this, right? But I realized a few things. One, it could be reading practice because there are a lot of speaking bubbles, in and the they game. don't use any kind of language. Like uh, verbal language. Right. Audio. So you have to read you everything. Have to read it. Yes. yes. And then there is a museum and like a natural living museum, living things museum. Insect, fish, and fossils. Yes. 
And then there's an art aspect to it. Right. It's people Animal are, Crossing. It's Animal Crossing. Yeah, it's Animal Many Crossing. Many people already knew. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we weren't, that was not very thinly veiled. Or that no. was very thinly veiled. <laughs> yeah, so you decided to turn I'm, on Animal Crossing on the Nintendo Switch. Yes, we're going to play it as a family. And then as we're going to... We're going to use it as a homeschool tool. Mm -hmm. So when they catch a fish, we're going to go research that fish Mm -hmm. to see what... Because Animal Crossing uses real... Yeah, they're all real. Yeah, exactly. Including the the prehistoric fishes in it. Exactly. So... Kalanith? Kalanth something? Anyway, I caught it. Coelacant. No. Is it? Yes, it's coelacant. Is it? (laughs) Yes. It's spelled like... Cold. Okay, thing. yeah. Uh, so this week we have been using our Switch. Mm. I ended up picking up um, a lot more controllers because there's something that we thought Edison caused but is a known problem with the Joy-Cons for Nintendo Switches. Mm. The drift is a known problem with the controllers. I, before I started letting the children play with it, yes, it never happened. Sure. So I'm going to go ahead and go on a limb that but, is directly the children. But there are thousands of people who have experienced... With thousands of children <laughs> who have destroyed their Joy-Cons. Uh, but the cool thing about Animal Crossing is that you can couch co-op, which means you all can play on the same island. Simultaneously? Yes. Oh. But you're attached to each other. You're all oh. in each other's oh, vicinity. Okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah. So well, it's for you're the kid, using the same screen. Yeah. yeah. So... So I really recommend this because so far it's been fantastic. If you've got kids that are of the appropriate age. Yeah. I would assume a young one would be fine too. You just kind of have to explain what's happening. Yeah. Like they can't read. But when we were reading mm-hmm. through, well, when Ben was reading through, he read the word democracy with such vigor. Yes. <laughs> he was, he was kind of like monotone reading. And then he goes, democracy. <laughs> And then Edison started laughing and he started saying, Yeah, so they were just running around the house screaming democracy, which is cool. I mean, I'm for it. All right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we'll post some links to the things Leia picked up. Um, These come off of the Hammer to Crash Course Amazon store, which we'll also have a link to in case you actually listen to the Hammer to Crash Course podcast and are interested in ham radio gear. (laughs) Uh, There'll be links for that too. So check it out if you could. This is an affiliate store. So. Anything you buy, the Hammer to Crash Course does get a piece of the action, and we appreciate that. Just an FYI. With that said, thank you, Leia, for telling us about what you're playing with or working on. Do you have a preparedness topic for Leia's preparedness corner? I do. Okay. My my preparedness corner this week is to think about what natural disasters would normally happen where you're at. For us here, it's earthquakes and... um, Wildfires. And wildfires in other areas might be tornadoes, might be hurricanes. I want to make one note, if I may. Might be sharknadoes. Who knows? <laughs> I want to be really clear when you're saying disasters in our area, you're talking about like the larger California. Southern California. Southern California. Right. Uh, there's a, been a thing, particularly it happened a lot last year. I was getting direct messages every time there was a wildfire in California asking if I was okay. Well, there were some that were not physically close enough for a house to catch on fire, but enough for us to be getting the ash from the fire. Sure. Yes, that is true. But we are never going to be in direct 
disaster range for a wildfire in California. We're surrounded by suburbs. Well, it it depends on whether or not we're in Big Bear at the time, right? Oh, sure. <laughs> if you if you hear a Big Bear one, send me a DM. Yeah, or or dad. or uh, in the Solvang area too. Solvang too, sure. Yeah. But yeah, it California is so big that I was getting messages like daily because California is on fire like three months out of the year right right and so it was just non-stop and i appreciate all the well wishes and making sure yeah. we're good uh but it was it was very funny after like the 10th or 11th message in a day and i'm like we're good if, if, <laughs> if you hear um if you hear compton burnt down um then the fire is is getting closer to me compton but, why would the compton last one burn down? the last one because it was a fire in like san pedro and I'm oh. like, you got to go through a lot of suburbs to get to me. <laughs> the, the, the fire got in a car. It went down the 91. Uh, <laughs> sat in traffic for an hour. <laughs> okay. So my, um, my preparedness corner is for you to run drills. Uh. It's something they do at school, sometimes at workplaces. But at home, especially if you have young children, they may not know what fire they need to do. Fire drills in particular are very important. Yeah. A home fire. Yeah. Not just a wildfire. Right. And it should be everything from what uh, a kid, and I appreciate that not everybody listening has kids, but what should a kid do if they see or smell smoke in the house? Right. Right. Um, all the way down to... Earthquake drills are important too? Yes. Because you do actually need to get under something. Right. So if something falls, you won't get hurt. I always like to remind people if you're in an earthquake area, leave a pair of shoes by your bed. Oh yeah, the, so the, you don't. The biggest walk injury over, people get is yeah. when they step on glass because mm-hmm. it earthquakes inevitably happen in uh, the late night. Yeah, you are rousted from bed. You're barely awake. You're panicked because there's a freaking earthquake going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Something is inevitably falling over, broken on the ground, and then you step on it. Yeah, that is how most people get hurt uh, in earthquakes. That that's like a scene out of Die Hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, the German terrorist thing, that's a whole, you know, different thing. that can Rest happen. in peace, Alan Rickman. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, be prepared, I guess. So also have yes. a nine mil, a Beretta nine millimeter on your side table next to your shoes. So run through the physical drills, though, mm-hmm. you know, so that everybody in the family, again, especially kids, knows what to do to be safe. And then it's going to also reveal any glaring issues you might have and what your preparedness plan to get out of your home will be in those scenarios. Yeah, this would also be a good time to, you know, dust off the comms plan. Yeah. Make sure you have an up-to-date comms plan. Mm -hmm. Make sure your children understand how to use the comms plan. Having them understand what your phone number is, because earthquakes don't just happen at night. They also happen right during school. Right. I've had multiple earthquakes where I was in school when they happened. Yeah. They were never bad enough that, you know, parents had to come get the children but that is something to consider right. right so that you that your children know how to catch up with you and and make sure everybody all the adults in the house know where the the gas shutoffs are the water shutoffs that those are things that could be impacted in in earthquakes us, that's yeah us, yeah yeah gas is a big thing have a gas wrench uh zip tie it or use some kind of tether to your gas main for your sure. gas wrench you this is a it's a unitasker. It lives with your, your gas valve, your gas main. That's it. It just does its thing and you leave it there. Yes. 
So that's my preparedness corner. I'd Run argue, some drills. I'd argue you you might want to gas shut off wrench if you lived in like a tornado area too. Because if like a tornado knocks your yeah. house down, you're gonna have a gas leak. So you, mm-hmm. you know, or if shut it that picks up your washer or dryer, right? Sure. That's something that they do from what I've seen on TV. I don't know. Just Listeners, the washer and dryer. You tell, you tell me. The tornado daintily <laughs> What's the opens craziest? the front door. <laughs> What's the craziest thing you've seen a tornado pick Tip-toes up? Tiptoes <laughs> into your uh, laundry room and then just rips that sucker out. <laughs> and places mine. it with another family. <laughs> it's really just a Robin Hood of appliances, <laughs> the, the tornado in its natural habitat. No, tornadoes are really horrible, though. Of course they are. I mean, I, I, when I think about the potential natural disasters, right. the fact that there is something that can pick up a heavy appliance and move it with, with, with rapidity. Very, yeah, with, with no real forewarning that you could get one smacked with whatever's in the right, tornado. Right, right. Yeah, whatever, wherever you live, you're more freaked out about someone else's natural disasters. Right, right, right. People are going to tell are, me that tornadoes are no big deal. Yeah, and they're like, oh, your earthquake scared the crap out of me. Right, right. But it's totally like the grass is not greener when it comes to natural yeah. disasters. Everybody's <laughs> always worried about someone else's. It's like, no, Californians worry about tornadoes. Cal- and then people that aren't in California are worried about earthquakes. It's very funny. <laughs> that's the way it seems to go. All right. Well, thank you, Leah, for your preparedness corner. That means it's time for the email correspondence tower. It's our favorite time of night. It's your favorite time. Are you ready to try the spicy? <laughs> I, I, my goodness, you drink so quickly. Well, you shared half. We, we shared a can. It's just one You're of your. It's one of while. your many talents, Josh. Just, you know, hey, just, I got some gifts. <laughs> shotgunning drinks that you didn't share with me. Couldn't even pour a little to the side for me to actually take. Oh, the just the prickly the pear. Prickly. There really wasn't much left of it. <laughs> just like maybe a shot glass full. Well, by the time I poured it out, <laughs> by the time this happened and they went in the fridge, you were still six hours from being home, basically. Six hours, or, really? Yeah, like or four, or four hours, something like that. So it would have been totally flat. I haven't even been out of the house for six hours. We left at three, and we came back at eight. Five hours. Okay. I'm I'm willing to give you an hour. That's when about it happened. Okay, All so right. the spicy is the same thing as the regular, but jalapeno flavors. Ooh. I like spicy drinks. I like spicy margs. You hate it when I say margs. I do. It's really... <laughs> it's, it's not good. I, I like, like spicy things as well. Remember that jam? Bloody Marys. Remember that jam that the person I used to work with made that yes, was just I made s- of habaneros? I still think about that jam. She just took habaneros. That jam was threw jam. them in a, in a pot <laughs> and put pectin in it. And just let it all just evaporate down. Like, just all cooked down. It was down. fantastic. It was super spicy, but surprisingly, habaneros are very sugary. There's a lot of natural sugar. There's a sugars. fruitiness to them. It is. Wow. It was really, really good. That's one of those jams that people put over cream cheese. It, that is the jam yeah. for that. In the beginning, it was jalapeno, and then there was jalapeno mint. Yeah. No. The, the now habanero it's is, habanero. It is. It's not for the faint of heart, though. It is really spicy. 
So keep that. Now I, now I feel like I need to go buy some habaneros and make the jam myself. It sounds so easy. <laughs> yeah, it's basically just a, a ton of habaneros and pectin. Wow. Yeah. That was pretty sweet, too. Okay. So this first email is from Joe. It says, Lake House. Last week, we mentioned that on an anniversary trip, we went to the Lake House in San Marcos. Yes. This cool boutique resort you know, pool, spa, that whole thing, mm-hmm. but also a lake, a small lake that you can kayak around. And we did. Uh, there's also... This is a man-made lake. Yeah, and there's actually a boat that goes, a single boat, I think. A, a boat. <laughs> that, the boat. Like, um, what is uh, what is that called? A harbor cruise. No, what is the... A booze cruise. What's the boat called that has a... Um, like a canopy over the top. Uh, a party boat? It's a, yeah, but there's a name for it. Okay. Sure. I do, uh, it's going to kill me now. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> so Joe says, hey, Leah and Josh, just listening to the podcast today, and I heard you talk about the Lake House Hotel. The wife and I spent a late anniversary weekend there last year. Great hotel. We booked a room on the marina. It was great to sit on the patio, relax, and enjoy some beverages. Also, like you said, there's a lot of breweries in the area. We went to Belgian Beaver and Stone. Hopefully, we'll be back there soon. Again, love the podcast and don't shore it up. Joe, K-N-6-N-A-F. Very good. Thank you, Joe. I also want to note, that uh, Belching Beaver, major brewery that's out there, mm-hmm. but Stone, which is in uh, the Escondido. Temecula area. Is it? No, I think it's Temecula, no? Temecula? Stone? Stone? Is Temecula. In... By oh. Santa Ana. Temecula's by Marietta and San Diego. Okay. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to look it up. All right. Well... The Stone Brewery actually has a full-blown restaurant, and you can do a brewery tour, and they let you sample a ton of the beers. Escondido. Escondido. Okay. Okay. All right. Correct it. Thank you. You're welcome. I really recommend going to... The food is fantastic. The food is so good. It is the reason to go. It's not... Stone's fine. Throw no shade at the stone, uh, but the, the, the restaurant is very good. But and they also they also let you taste their experimental beers. Sometimes, not all the time. Okay, fair enough. But it's go for the go for the restaurant. You don't even have to do the tour. The tour is interesting, but it's like if you've done a brewery tour, Stone's not doing something that crazy that you're missing out. Oh, but they have such weird flavors they work on. Like they were working on a carrot cake beer sure. at the time. Yeah, and if you can swing it, go for it. But don't like yeah. let that not be the reason to go. The reason to go should be for the restaurant. It is that good. Yeah, the restaurant's very good and it's on the way. And if you ever go to the lake house, that's that that should be a multi step part you go to Stone before you go check in at the lake house. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. And then you can just spend the whole weekend tanked. <laughs> well you go have a nice relaxing vacation where you don't remember it when you're done. <laughs> That's a, actually, the lake house has a really great restaurant on its premises, too. It did. Yeah. yeah that was nice. 
Um, that is definitely a restaurant where you're packed in with people, though. So I imagine that's probably not back up to its uh, before times. Uh, I don't know. They they did a brunch buffet, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that's a good brunch that buffet. That was good. That's, that's really how the best way to survive a hangover. <laughs> yeah, with Bloody Marys and... And mimosas. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and a buffet. waffle bar. And uh, corned beef. I think they had some kind of corned beef hash. Oh, you I love corned beef I so love much. Corned beef hash. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Joe. The next email is titled "Leia Email Correspondence Corner Lead Story." This is from Brian. Leia, with the off schedule last week, screwing up the race to the bottom to be your last correspondent. I instead wanted to start a race to the top. After Almost. all, that's where the hard-hitting correspondence that you two have come to expect from your listeners is. Not at the end where fluff and nonsense like sports ball is. <laughs> sports ball. <laughs> With that, I want to share a story I remembered while listening to Josh talk about having his bag checked by the TSA because of the ICOM 705. Mm-hmm. I had bought a Nintendo Switch on launch day Mm -hmm. and about a week later had an international trip for work ORD was fairly empty since the flight was late in the evening and in the middle of the week I was going through pre-check and TSA asked to open my bag I thought this was odd because other than my Nintendo Switch nothing in my laptop bag had changed from dozens and dozens of previous trips I said sure and he went right to where the Switch was Cautiously, he pulled it out, and upon realizing what it was, he exclaimed, Oh, we haven't seen one of these yet. Do you mind if we run it through again? They ran just the switch through the x-ray again, and the guy running the machine said, Got it, thanks, and nodded to the other agent, and it was okay to send me on my way. Since that experience and the odd exchange with the agents, I had always wondered if the TSA keeps a visual signature of various consumer electronics in order to help identify devices that have been modified for nefarious purposes. And if my switch became one of the TSA's first samples of what one looks like on x-ray. I'm sure they do. I'm sure for the larger airports, they do keep some kind of information on that. But I would also assume that the uh, the x-ray manufacturers would definitely have an x-ray machine, right? And mm-hmm. they would run right. consumer electronics through it and put it in some kind of database or whatever. But I think he got it on launch day. Sure. Yeah, so yeah. they... They probably have the ability to do both. Sure. Well, Brian signs off. Keep up the great work, you guys. And 73's your lead correspondent, Brian N2SNF. Thank you, Brian. They did rerun the 705, too. So now the 705 is in LAX's uh, um, database. Well, you're welcome to everybody flying out of LAX with a 705. Hopefully you don't get stopped. (laughs) Doing the hard work for you guys so you can enjoy ham radio out there. Uh, Thomas writes in Biosphere 2. Now, last week I talked about how I want to take... Two? What? Is Biosphere 2... Oh, I'm thinking of Biodome. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. Biosphere 2 is the uh, currently uh, tourable facility. Uh-huh. I, 
I don't know where Biosphere 1 is. Is it Biosphere the number two or T-O-O? No, it's the number two. Okay. The sequel. Okay. Biosphere, we're going to try it again. Electric somewhere Google hotter. <laughs> yes. Leia, here's the website for your dream summer vacation. And it is a link to Biosphere 2, uh, which, again, if anybody has not heard about this mm-hmm. in the 90s, they did an experiment to see whether or not they could create a uh, fully sustained uh, biosphere mm-hmm. so that theoretically you could populate another planet. It's a closed environment. Right. right? It's a completely closed system that yes. has to be self-sustaining. Yeah. So everything needs to be in balance. Yes. Everything, waste must be reused. Yeah. The plants must create oxygen. Humans must create carbon dioxide in a balance that, you know, they yes. can, whatever, live harmoniously. In the U.S., Biosphere 2 is in Tucson, Arizona, Mm-hmm. which I foolishly thought would be super fun to do in the summer because no. I don't understand weather. No. <laughs> or Arizona, I guess. Yeah. It's hot. Thomas says, it is an eight-hour drive to get there, so maybe choosing a hotel that is close to the site is the way to go. I would expect that air conditioning would be available at all places along the way, too. Don't drive all night to an unfamiliar place just to escape the heat. Josh should find the site an interesting example of test, fail, fix. Have a fun trip. Mm. 73, Thomas, AD6TW. Thank you. Thank you, Thomas. Uh, We got a lot of really good advice about uh, how to travel from where we are out to Tucson. Okay. Uh, But most of the feedback I got was, what are you trying to do? Going to Arizona in the summer, you need to wait. (laughs) You nut. Right. So I have another plan now. (laughs) Okay. Hear me out. (laughs) It's going to Catalina Island for (laughs) Islands on the Air. Catalina Island is an Islands on the Air, right? Yes. It's got to be. I I imagine it's not that sought after, (laughs) but who cares? Why not? So somebody recommended that we take a helicopter in so that you can see the whole island and then you skip this 50 to 60 minute boat ride. Uh, Because for us, we would drive out to Long Beach, which is a port on on the coast. And then there's a catamaran, a rapid catamaran. It's a very fast catamaran. Um, That's not inexpensive, though. The catamaran is... About $60 per person each way. Right. And then if you factor in what the cost of the helicopter would be, it was pretty close when you looked at it. No, no. In fact, it's not. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. When you told me it was $350 for four people, I'm like, that's (laughs) okay. I'm just going to have it drive me to work. Whoever was doing, (laughs) whoever was running that helicopter uh, deal that Mm. was uh, the 15 minute flight for four people at 350 must have gone out of business yeah. there's only one company that is doing fly it by night website bob and his whirly bird discount <laughs> helicopter flights what happened to bob oh bob crashed <laughs> it was all an insurance dead, scheme <laughs> but the idea was that we we're gonna fly in it's actually six hundred dollars for four people that's yeah, more reasonable yeah I'm but, like, it's almost the same price as the catamaran. <laughs> what? 
So then you go out to uh, there's Avalon. Uh, Avalon is the mainland facing side of Catalina. And then on the other side of the island, that's where the buffaloes roam. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Sure. So there's there's an eco uh, tent kind of resort there. You can rent a tent. Because I'm trying to figure out how we're going to camp in Catalina if we have to haul all of our gear (laughs) onto a catamaran. What makes it an eco tent? Well, we charge you more. What would you say this tent is different from uh, any other tent? (laughs) It rapidly biodegrades while you sleep. (laughs) So you wake up wet. (laughs) And we charge you more. That's just like your ultralight tent. That tent is not going to biodegrade on you. But you do wake up wet. (laughs) And you did pay more. I did pay more. I did. Hey, way more. <laughs> wow, the marketing teams are the same for these two products. <laughs> That's amazing. But the buffalo are actually roaming through the resort as our foxes, do the you, signature are foxes. Are you crazy? And, are you cra- and do I you actually t- believe that there's just wild buffalo We've tracing? We've seen them. I've also seen videos of We've buffaloes hurling people 20 feet in the air. These are friendly buffaloes. No, they're not. Okay. No, they're not. They'll know we're not trying to turn them into burgers, and they'll be really grateful. You are. You're on something. Yeah. Also, deer. I didn't know that deer were on the island, but so. I, I just want to point. I out feel to like you're not really listening. sold on the Catalina vacation. The animals that are on Catalina were brought to Catalina Island. Yes, uh-huh. there there was no buffalo that swam out. It was going for a long <laughs> swim one day. And, and landed on Catalina Island. They were brought there. It was like a film producer or director owned a house out there. And he just made a big-ass place with wild animals on it. Here's the thing, though. Okay. The Everything that seems to be brought out there proliferates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It really propagates. You know I mean? It really <laughs> propagates. So there are so many buffalo on this island now. I don't think that's true okay all right i think well, you're you're making catalina but, fake news over here but then somebody brought up to me that the helicopter is how kobe bryant and his daughter died and i realized like as a as a as a thing the helicopter yeah yeah but, but i'm not taking a helicopter anywhere okay and if we're gonna go to catalina it's gonna be by boat Plus, it's way too expensive. I'm not gonna. It's just too much. It's too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hear me out. Yeah. The boat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it killed the people in the Titanic. Not a catamaran, and not in Southern California. <laughs> You're just being. There's no icebergs. You're just here. throwing a lot of shade at the helicopter. I don't know, man. They're pretty safe, except for. Kobe Bryant died in one. Just mm-hmm, saying. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Okay, the next email is titled Hunsville. This is from Rob. See, I, see how I say it you right? Said it, you said yeah, it right. Yeah, Very thank good. you. Thank you. Hi, Leah and Josh. Josh, when you were in Huntsville for 
Hamfest, <coughs> you may want to visit the U.S. Space and Rocket Center, which is about 20 minutes west of Huntsville. Even though you're not able to make it inside the museum during business hours, outside they have a vertical full-size model of the 363-foot, oh, 363-foot-high Saturn V rocket, which is spectacularly lit at night. See attached image. Ooh, I have news for you guys. I'm now dropping podcast images in the podcast channel on Discord. Oh, cool. So uh, you're going to see this. Put up images. Yeah, exactly. I will not have enough time to do any of that, but that is on a short list of things that I would do if I had more time in Huntsville. So next year, um, when I inevitably get more time, I will probably make that happen. I have been to Wright Pat. I went there for, gosh, we went there. I spent all day in, in at Wright Pat, Wright, uh, Patterson. Okay. Um, Air Force Base at the Air Force Museum. Oh, man, that was cool. And they have a couple of launch vehicles there as well. I can't remember those because I was mostly going for the planes. Mm-hmm. That's where I spent the most time. But anyway. Well, Rob continues, I think it's the only place in the world where you can see a full-size Saturn V model standing upright. It's truly a wonderful sight. However, you are able to make it to the museum during business hours. Oh, if you are able. Right. Um, you won't be disappointed, especially with your interest in aerospace. There is a real Saturn V in the museum along with the Apollo 16 command module and other amazing space artifacts. After last week's podcast, I emailed Nathan to thank him for his amazing ham pun message that Leia enjoyed so much. His sense of humor really resonates with me. And even though it seems to cause you remorse... In the process, I learned... re-hyphen Morse? Yeah, re-Morse capitalized. Mm -hmm. In the process, I learned that the international contacts he mentioned in another email were made with a Wolf River Coils antenna. Sure. I know how much you love that antenna system and thought you'd like to know. I'm glad to see the podcast reaching the three-hour mark again. I listen to it at one-to-one speed and love it. (laughs) What can be better than three hours with Josh and Leia? Oh. Four hours with Josh oh, and Leia. <laughs> Keep up the great work, Rob. KI5GFL. Thank you very much. Thank Rob. you, Rob. I do like a good Wolf River antenna. And they have a... Their their website's really cool because they have a, a lot of options. Yeah? Yeah. A lot of different options. Almost any option to suit whatever your needs are. And they get kind of wild with some of their stuff, which is cool i like companies that do that they have like how a do you couple get of wild good... with antennas so they, they've got the wolf river coil right it's the it's the oh, it's the linear it's a coil loaded antenna right it's got a loading coil at the bottom they make one that is a coil loaded but it's the loading is at the midpoint of the antenna so it's got like an, a rod and then the coil and then the, the rest of the vertical sticks out the top which they argue is more effective huh. they have a dipole version Okay. which is like a, a VW frame, two coils on each side, and then the the stinger's sticking out of the This top is of starting it. to sound like the kids with their straws and connectors yeah, yeah, yeah. just building out these crazy structures. And you're like, hear me out. Two coils, two antennas. <laughs> Great. Do it. More coils. <laughs> More, More coils. antennas. Hear me out. I want to put three coils stacked on top of each other. That's who knows. And you just argue that more coils has to be more 
more signal, right? Just right. <laughs> I, the term I was looking for was center loaded versus bottom loaded antenna. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Ham on the fly. Bryson writes in, Hi, Leah and Josh. Just a quick response about the podcast on the 14th. I've been away from Hawaii for a few years, so I haven't been keeping up with the news there too much. And I don't know what Josh meant by petitioning for a Hawaiian call sign. But as far as I know, you can't request a Hawaii vanity. Right. I think I was joking. Right. (laughs) You, you, You have to live in Hawaii to get a Hawaiian call sign. I think the person used to be. Mm -hmm. You can keep it after you have it. Mm -hmm. Now, this past episode, you got me thinking about fly fishing with a ham. Currently, when I go out fly fishing, I keep my HT on in my bag. But now I'm wondering if you could somehow attach a dye pole to a fly pole. (laughs) You could. The problem is the fly fishing rods, they've, they've got too much action to them. It would just fold over and just be like a sad, bent, uh, fishing flaccid you mean well just at the tip <laughs> it would be kind of sad okay um and then but the dipole the center connector would be like off of the the last line it would just not not good either run a wire or use the material they make sticks signal sticks out of what do you think about that idea? Um, As I write this, it occurred to me that if you're connecting it to an HT, you could make it an end fed since the unun you would need wouldn't need, need wouldn't be too big since it would be five watts max. Just run the wire along the pole and connect it with some short coax off the bottom end. Yeah. I think I have my new antenna project. Sure. Uh, I mean, you can do that with a with like K, uh, K6A or K's end fed. You can just take it's very thin wire. You can just go up the the guy the guy holes mm-hmm. and then run it off the top and just run it into a tree or run it over wherever you want to go with it. That okay. works fine. Yeah. As to shoring up the podcast, again, I think it could be longer. I actually listen at regular speed and it doesn't even last me one night of work. Then I still have three more nights with no HRCC. Anyway, clearly in love with the podcast. Thank you. Please keep them coming. You don't have to worry about shoring them up. Just think about it as more Josh and Leia ham time. We absolutely yes. love doing the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's not doing the podcast. It's the amount of time it takes. <laughs> we do this after we put the kids to sleep. So yeah. that gives us a couple of hours to work with. And it's not the production. It's that it all has to be then edited to some level not a lot but yeah there's time you know uploading it after it's done editing and all that stuff you can always tell i'm always we up for like two hours yeah. after recording you can always tell when josh has his uh 980 day off because it goes podcast. into like 4 a.m <laughs> yeah he stays up doing the podcast and then suddenly he's on the radio for a few hours and then blames the podcast for keeping him up when in fact because what happens, it was you on what, a radio <laughs> what always happens is i i do there's two renders that we run i run a render out of the podcast software mm-hmm. after i've cut everything together sure and then i do another render through this audio leveling um software and when it's doing that i'm like well what what am I going to do? I'm sitting here. 
Oh, yeah. And this computer is also my editing computer for videos. So I'm uh-huh. not really going to edit. I don't want to take the processing power away of from course, it. So of course. So I guess I'm going to go play radio. Right, right. Yeah. That totally adds up. Bryson signs off 73N7HNL. Thank, Thank you. you, Bryson. Oh, more comments from Bryson. I'm sorry. I forgot to add in the last email that I get why people don't always use NATO phonetics. And most times I'm okay with it. But sometimes I feel like it makes it more confusing when they make up their own. I am of two minds. I think most people most of the time should use NATO. But you were totally right that there are times where, you know, Juliet is not making it through. So you say Juno. Okay. And that does. There, there are times where, or Japan, for some reason, Japan always works. Like if you can't get the J. A pan. Japan, and then people right. hear that, and it's like, oh, okay, okay. Jay. Um, sometimes you, if you're just not able to, like, if you're on your third attempt at getting the call sign right, like, if you have to keep coming back, it's like, no, I don't hear the suffix. I need those suffix. Give me the suffix. And they mix up the um, the phonetics. Sometimes that does it. So, yeah, I don't know. Well, Bryson continues, the one that I really can't stand is when people use kilowatt for K. Mm. Have you done that? No. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> it's easier to say kilo, right? Yeah. Yeah. When I don't I, know why you'd add the extra syllable, right? It's When I hear that, I always think they mean KW, like kilo and watt. Right. Besides that, I can understand why people use the phonetics they do. If I remember correctly, though, the reason the words for NATO phonetics were chosen was because they sound distinct so there would be no confusion i.e kilowatt Mm -hmm. okay i think i'm really done this time bryson and seven hnl (laughs) thank you bryson the next email is titled safes arizona experimentation with electronics ham curious (laughs) oh this is gonna be a big email (laughs) and this is from matt hello Leia and jack i will make this (laughs) hey jack (laughs) I will try to make this quick with all I want to cover. I told you guys in the last time I wrote that I am a safe tech. So I wanted to give you a few tips to purchasing safes for your home. First off, pay attention to the fire ratings on the safes you're looking at. Now, last week, my uh, preparedness corner was about safes. Correct. Right. Well, fireproof, waterproof safes specifically to keep... uh, documents right and other things that you would need but really to make sure your documents order secure them okay so with that background looks like matt is gonna throw down some knowledge okay (laughs) i'm ready not only will there be a time listed but the temperatures at which the safe will remain will maintain during that time the temperatures will vary wildly Second, make sure that whatever safe you buy has a UL-approved Type 1 electronic or Group 2 mechanical lock on it. I won't get into prescribing brands, but you don't want to try, you don't want to buy any less than those two types. Third, Josh mentioned that the small fireproof boxes with a key for keeping documents. These boxes are great for fire protection, but if you have a fireproof safe, be sure to put these in these boxes inside them for added protection good call bolting down your safe if you're going to bolt down your safe make sure 
you do not have a post-tension slab. If you do, make sure to epoxy the safe instead. If you don't know what a post-tension slab is, look it up. (laughs) Sure. And last, when it comes to a gun safe, don't go cheap. I have seen far too many times people who buy an $800 gun safe from a hardware store (laughs) and put $30,000 worth of guns inside them. These cheap safes will not only give you a reasonable amount of protection, and you will be will not give you a reasonable amount of protection and you will be heartbroken when you find someone else is able to get into it within a few minutes or a fire destroys your collection. <coughs> yes. These are very good tips. Thank you. As for your trip to Arizona, Biodome 2 is about 25 minutes north of Tucson. You want to go to Biodome in early December so that you can take the backcountry highway north to Mesa on December 4th. Mesa is close to the eastern edge of Phoenix and come to visit the Superstition Superfest. This is the Superstition Arc Hamfest, and we would love to see you oh, and cool. everyone else there. Also, if you're going to stay in Tucson, check out the Hotel McCoy. I have a feeling you guys might like this place. It's kind of a niche place. Niche. Ni- niche is uh, fine. I've lost my mind. Niche's niche fine. place to stay and pretty nice, but not super expensive. <clears throat> I think this ranch water might be stronger than I realized. It's 4%. It's weird. It's just chilling. Yeah. It's a cool chill seltzer. It feels like maybe I shotgunned one. Josh is absolutely right about experimentation with electronics. Thank you. Let some smoke out. Yeah. Components, components are cheap. That's literally what this says. Components yeah. are cheap, and you learn more from failure than success. Totally. When I interviewed for my current job eight and a half years ago, my boss asked if I had ever locked myself out of a safe I was working on. When I said I hadn't, he smiled and said, you will. And he then said it would be okay, and there would always be help. But sometimes that's how you have to learn. Yep. And that is the reason I have been working here this long and will probably never work anywhere else. I have an idea for a t-shirt. Josh was talking about preaching to the ham curious out there, and it made me think of a shirt with the words, are you ham curious? Take my hand. I will show you the way. Maybe the (laughs) words on top of an HT or large antenna and at the bottom in smaller lettering, EME gets the girls. (laughs) 73's Matt K7YEG. I, I like the idea of like a ham curious shirt. I just don't know about the whole like take my hand. Thing. <laughs> I'll, I'll show you the way. There's some weird people out there that could take it at the wrong direction. Do you want to hear about my ham? Yeah. <laughs> ask me about my ham. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. And if we make the shirt, you will get one. Uh, The next email is titled, The Learned Teachings of Guru Josh, and this is from Simon. Hi, Leah. Greetings from the UK. In the last podcast, you read out one of my emails and then mentioned that I had sold three HTs when I bought my G90. As my wife has a one radio in, one radio out rule, and Josh reacted to this with disappointment. I meditated on this. And if the rule is one radio out, I sold three, bought one, so I was owed two radios. You've got a balance now. 
I immediately bought an Anytone AT-D878UV2 plus to restore some radio karma and going off the above mentioned rule, I still have one radio available to buy. You're still, yeah. Thank you to Josh for the tough love and showing me the (laughs) one rule all hams should aspire to. All problems can be solved by buying another radio. That's right. (laughs) That that is right. Your face is so... You're so happy. You were like, he gets two more radios, Simon. That's right. (laughs) Thanks for all you both do. And for the record, I really enjoyed the Zack Snyder cut of the podcast. 73, Simon B, 2-E-O-H-F-O. I did like the Snyder cut more than the uh, original Justice League. Sure. I thought it was much better. Because everything is included. Right. No, not really. It's just the Joss Whedon stuff, I think. Joss Whedon didn't make the movie he wanted to make either. It was largely dictated by the This is the Justice League, Zack Snyder cut. Zack Snyder was the original director of the Justice League, and the studio basically thought it was going out of control, so they pulled him and brought Joss Whedon in, who did some reshoots and changed a lot of the dialogue and threw it out there because they wanted to make it, um, I think they wanted to hit the two-hour mark. Okay. Which is pretty difficult when you're, mm-hmm. um, when like half of the characters don't have a standalone movie of there those characters. There are a lot of characters in the Justice League. Right. So like you only had, you had a Superman movie, two Superman, two Superman movie. And the Batman movie was really just Batman and Superman. It wasn't a standalone Batflick, Batfleck uh, video. Batfleck. Uh, Aquaman had just come out. Wonder Woman came out. There's no standalone Flash. Oh man, there's I no do standalone not like Cyborg. Aquaman is my least favorite. The movie superhero was for it, DC. As, as far as DC movies go, Aquaman was was not bad. The Flash in the Snyder Cut was better, and Cyborg was substantially better in the no, Snyder not. Cut. But it's also like a four hour movie. Well, your review of the Snyder Cut is going to turn this into a Snyder Cut. That's so. Sorry. <laughs> copious slow-mos that's that's how you know it's a snyder movie by the way he does these weird uh, anyway i'm not gonna get it snyder is very much snyder he's got his own meta thank you so much simon the next email is titled 80 meter loop update oh yeah and this is from justin love it leia and josh i really enjoyed last week's podcast although the advice for how to put up the loop came about a week too late <laughs> As we kind of figured out as we were we were answering it. But you really gave it your all. I, was, I mean, anybody <laughs> listening, yeah, that's a great idea. And Justin was the one lucky enough to be lent space, right? Right. To put up whatever antenna he wanted. And there was some antenna that was going to be hovering. I, is it? Just is it hover? Okay. <laughs> You're talking about the wires? Yeah. With the window weights and the pulleys? Yes. (laughs) Luckily, I had most of the plans, similar to yours, Josh, already in my head prior to the start. For others listening to the podcast that may be interested, what I ended up doing is running the wire directly through the pulleys that were hoisted up in the tree on the paracord, except for one support where I ran the wire through a tension line that is currently just tied off to a tree with a bit of slack as a placeholder until I can find an appropriate window weight to hang from it. Mm -hmm. 
I used 268 feet, 3 inches of 14-gauge insulated house wire from Lowe's attached to a Palomar Engineers 4-to-1 ballon with a built-in 1-to-1 current choke. Nice. The ballon is suspended from a paracord attached to a pulley for easy servicing. Performance-wise, the 80-meter loop was cut for the low side of 80 meter. So toward the high end of the band, it closes in on a three to one SWR, easily tunable, but gives me under two to one on the majority of the 40, 20, 17, 15, 12, and 10 meter bands. Yeah. I can't wait until I can put up some real power behind the uh, behind it down the road. I'm curious about the pulleys, though. I'm curious what pulleys he uses, because if they're metal... And he's just running the wire right through the pulley. That's going to have some kind of reaction to the antenna. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why I was saying you use a rope with an insulator, like a dog bone insulator. You run the wire through the dog bone insulator, tying off the other side, and then the cordage goes through the pulley. Okay. And that's where the weight is attached off of that rope. So I'm, right. I'm curious what pulleys he used. <clears throat> Justin continues, that tension weight question was really the missing piece that had me baffled. And as always, you came through. I had a couple of people from my local club come out to assist me that day. And when I presented them with the same question, they were just as baffled as me as to what to use for weight. I just want to thank you again for the window weight advice. Yeah, no problem. And window weight is just an idea. You can use a small sandbag with a like a what, what's um? There's sandbags that they use when they tent a home for fumigation. They're really long tubes. Mm-hmm. So if you had some plastic that was very rugged, something that you could leave outdoors, mm-hmm. you could make a tube out of it. Uh, just sew it right with some heavy thread. Flip it inside out, and you make like a long pillow, if you will. Pillow of sand. A pillow of sand, and then you. Um, Sew it shut, and then you pop a grommet, one of those brass grommets through it. You can use that as a weight. Okay. Last week during the podcast, the topic of learned helplessness and and mindset came up, and I couldn't get it out of my head for the rest of the day. It's my number one frustration with people, but I can't fault them because I used to be there too. So much of our society is geared around teaching kids and adults with the tell, show, do method which is a good method of teaching. But when it's the only way people are taught, it's the only way they believe they can learn. Typically, things are broken down in a way so simple that if you follow the exact steps, you can't fail. Without someone to tell them or show them how to do something, people feel paralyzed when attacking a task that's foreign to them. Mm -hmm. And Josh is right. You have to fail and you can't be afraid of failure. Hell, my father used to tell me I'd be a failure and I've seemed to make something of a habit. I seem to make a habit of it. I can't tell you how many toroids I've dropped on the ground and shattered while winding transformers, UHF connectors I've attached without slipping onto the crimp sleeve or coupling shell, antennas I've measured wrong, too short. Well, you get the idea. Each one of these failures gives me a lesson or teaches me what does and more often what doesn't work. Either way, it's good data. All right, I'm done ranting. I'll let you guys get back to it. Once again, thank you for everything you do. 73 and 88, Justin, K-O-4-C-E-Q. Thank you, Justin. Very good. Thank you, Justin. It was an engineer I worked with, and he had the mentality of, well, I'm an engineer, so I hire people to do 
things like my home improvement you know if i breaks if something breaks in the home we hire somebody to fix it which is on the cuff that is a very a to b solution right i make engineer money so can i just take my engineer money and hire somebody to do the job you can sure it's not self-reliant at all though the problem is exactly that how do you know you're not getting ripped off Mm -hmm. how do you know you're getting a good value for your money yeah, you, you may have money to spend, but are you getting more of it taken away than you really should? Sure. And if you have no concept of what the work is that the individual's doing, you're vulnerable to that happening. Sure. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Justin. The next email is titled Next Antenna 2028. And this is from Douglas. Okay. I bought a SolarCon A99 with a ground plane for use with my CB radio, but also 10 meters when I have a capable radio. Still haven't gotten an HF rig. We'll get a tuner, which in truth doesn't tune, just makes the radio think the antenna system is 50 ohms. That's right. You said on the previous podcast, field day 2028. Did you mean 2018? (laughs) <laughs> did I? <laughs> did, did we write that? What did we do? I don't know. Uh, coming That's... to you from the future. <laughs> Unless you do the podcast on a Monday night, this will be nowhere near the last email. <laughs> 2028 in the future, there is only ham radio for communication. And all currency is based on the Baofeng. <laughs> that helicopter ride is five Baofengs. Oh my gosh. See, in that in the future, Baofengs go up in value. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Because everybody needs one. Sure. Yeah. Douglas signs off. Uh, Douglas V K I 7 L I K. Thank you, Douglas. Thank you. Uh, thank you for catching that uh, incorrect year as well. <laughs> it's, it's an Easter egg we left in for you. Yeah. That's really what it was. Totally intentional. The next email is titled Pod Stuff, and this is from Greg. I can fully understand where Gabriel was going when he wrote about adjusting everything to get on the air. I hunt a lot of poda. I've activated a park two times and really enjoy it. But what keeps me doing it more is for me to activate. It means I have to plan ahead since I have to disconnect my radio to take with me. Mm-hmm. I don't like having to tear apart my ham shack in order to activate. While he has to figure out how to get that radio up permanently, what I have to do is buy another radio, which I sure. will be if the FT-891 is ever back in stock at HRO. That is a big problem. That radio is um, unobtainium right now. Really? Yeah. Because it's of like the three-month delays. Because of the chip problem or something else? Um, there's just shortages all over the place right now chips there's a silicon shortage there and and you know you have to keep in mind that some of there those is? chips yeah some of those chips are um used in other market spaces in other devices right so everybody's competing for the cha- same similar chips i have so much silicone like they, not not what? on not on my body but i mean in the house <laughs> you know not like for baking Oh, I'm talking for chip, chip manufacturer. Oh, oh, you know, like those so hard confusing. circuit boards. That's <laughs> silicon. Gotcha. The uh, Greg continues. Another email talked about an 80 meter loop. Josh talked about it being a big horizontal loop of wire. My question is that if it has to be horizontal, 
I live on about an 80% up a hill. Mm-hmm. North-south, I'm pretty level, but east-west slopes fairly substantially. How horizontal does a loop have to be? I have plenty of space, just nothing that's level. So horizontal in this case is is mainly talking about the polarization of the antenna. Also, we were talking about, what was it, 300 plus feet of unbroken wire. Mm-hmm. Doing a vertical loop out of that is quite difficult. Sure. Because 300 feet of unbroken wire. Right. It, that is a, <laughs> an engineering feat to accomplish that. So it's it's more or less horizontal because we're talking about the way it's fed from the antenna feed line point of view. And it happens to also align horizontally to the ground. In your case, it will work fine. It It, it may have a weird... It may have a different pattern. It may radiate better in one direction than another. It may have an odd um, polarization a bit. I don't know. It is definitely something I would try, though, if I had the land. I don't care how much elevation change it had. I would try it. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> Someone else talked about the great contacts they made in Europe. I've made a couple of European contacts, but time zones and all as a whole are European hams anxiously searching out North American contacts? I guess if they're members of ARRL, they get the same awards. But are there awards just for European or Asian or African, etc. hams? Yeah, for their own version of the ARRL. They have their own, you know, version. Uh, do keep in mind, too. Yeah, sure. The, the Europeans love to make contacts with Americans because it's dx that's over the ocean yeah right it's a proper dx kind of thing but they're surrounded by dx because europe is full of tons of different countries right so you're less than 100 miles you could have multiple countries mm-hmm. where you're technically making dx contacts with does it count uh, yeah sure yeah, <laughs> yeah. Greg continues, Josh talked about learning by failing. This is my earliest vivid memory. I was four or five years old. I had a slot car track that I loved to race cars around. I knew that pulling that trigger on the controller gave it more gas, and that made my car really move. I ended up having my favorite car leave the track and wouldn't work anymore, so I decided to fix it. I guess this was my first attempt at electronics repair. I opened the car and took the motor out of the car. I noticed the wires going from the pads on the bottom of the car to the motor. Called to dinner to my parents and went out for the evening, leaving my brother and sister home with me. Wait, did I miss something? Missed a step? Missed a line? Mm, No. They hired a friend of my sister to babysit me. They were upstairs playing, and I decided to finish my experimenting with that broken slot car motor. Mm -hmm. I disconnected the pads from the bottom of the car and headed over to the outlet. Those pads fit perfectly in the slots of an outlet. The babysitter was coming down the steps just as I plugged them into the outlet. Loud pop, sparks went everywhere, and the power to the living room went out. Scared the crap out of me, but I was not hurt. Needless to say, my first electronics repair ended in failure. That's funny. Just thought you'd enjoy that. 73, Greg, and 3 GDS. Thank you, Greg. Oh, man. Yeah, that car, that motor was probably toast. 
Yeah. <laughs> or maybe he just took the, it was just the pads, it sounds like, maybe. Yeah, that is a funny story, though. And the next email is titled, Leia beat me to the beat to the finish line. Now we raced to the general. Mm. And this is from Dennis. Hello, Leia and her minion, Josh. Minion. <laughs> Can you make the minion sound? Uh-uh. No, I cannot. I bet you could, but you're just not going to do it. I don't really, I, I don't really have watched those movies, so I don't really have a good example of what they sound like in my head. Uh, Dennis writes, "Guess what? My race to get my technician license before Leia was two weeks too late. Congratulations on passing your tech, Leia. Thank you. And congratulations the, on yours. Yes, but the race to our general license is on." It is. Uh, uh, You know, I think I've heard a lot of people say that they are going to race me to the general. You are going to win this race. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations. (laughs) Pre-congrats. So I got an email that I could test on... uh, on May 24th, I was on standby. I passed my ham radio exam at Warminster, Pennsylvania Amateur Radio Club. They say it may take a week till my call sign is posted. I did the written test, got three wrong, so I'm ready for field day. A big thanks to Leah and Josh, the HRCC YouTube channel, Facebook page, and the podcast, where a big help you made the journey fun. I love the podcast. I listen daily driving to and from work. You guys put a lot of time and work in, and we appreciate all of it. Thank you. So this Memorial Day, I will celebrate with a bowl of chili and craft beer. Looking forward to many more long hours of fun-filled podcasts. Take care. 73, Dennis. Thank you so much. And congratulations on getting your license. And I hope you enjoy your Memorial Day chili and craft beer. (laughs) That's a good combo. (laughs) The next email is titled, On the Air with MCOM 2. And this is from Casey. Hey, Leah, Josh, just wanted to post an update and let you know that the podcast giveaway antenna made it super easy for me to get on the air. Great. Thanks again. I attached a picture as proof that your giveaway is going to good use. Ignore the backyard. It's a work in progress. That's awesome. Congratulations. Congratulations. Glad it's working out for you. Due to the 7,300 shortages, I did end up going with a G90, which definitely meets my needs for now. Next radio for sure will be a 7,300 or equivalent. I, I think that's a fine approach. I know I, I know. I generally argue for 100 watts to start, but I think a G90 is both, it's, it's both something that you can do portable. It's 20 watts, which is something. You, it's mm-hmm. totally better than QRP. Um, and then when you end up upgrading, hopefully upgrade, the G90 becomes a really good portable radio. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that works. In the last podcast or so, an individual mentioned that they were burnt out on setup, uh, on setup and teardown. I believe the setup I am running could potentially bridge the gap f- for some folks as I would consider it a semi-permanent 
The transformer and feed line are always mounted slash connected. And whenever I want to operate, I can deploy antenna element and counterpoise in about five minutes using an eight foot fiberglass ladder and a PVC support. Yeah. I should note that I do have a lot of space to deploy and I can also use a line trees that I have in my yard if desired. This setup also allows about 180 degrees of adjustment by simply moving the supports. Okay. Yes, it's rudimentary, but so far I have had decent success with a few FT8 contacts, even one in Indiana on 20 meters at 6 watts in a sloper config aimed in the wrong direction. (laughs) Okay. At its current height, it is definitely invis for 40 meters, plus, but that was my intended application. Even then, I have been able to check into a few regional nets. Okay. Josh, I did have a question slash topic idea. Have you posted a video regarding EFHW deployment configs and how they may affect propagation patterns? Chameleon mentions a few of the basic and common ones, but I was curious if there were other oddball configs that could be placed in the propagation toolbox. I think back to how you mentioned that you had yours strung up every which way in your backyard when you were reviewing one of them. Mm-hmm. Again, I appreciate your help in getting me on the HF bands. Regards, Casey KF0AAC. So a couple of things came to mind when, when you started talking. I realized that there's some high trees behind us. Mm-hmm. I'm going to th- use them. They're not what? our trees. They're what? like the city's trees. What are you talking about? I'm going to throw a line up there, and I'm going to get the wire up in that tree. Instead of going every which way in the backyard. Okay. That's just dumb. I'm going to use the city's trees. How are you going to do that? I've got a throw line. Okay. I'm just going to throw that sucker up in the tree. But when they come through to do tree trimmings and things like that? When are they ever doing that? They have a team that goes around every day. Every day? Not our block, but I mean around the city. They're working every day. Well, worst case scenario, I'll lose the wire or something. All right. This is a fun, this is a fun realization. Is it, going, is it going to be like really visible for me? No, it's a black wire. It's really thin. Huh. So with that said, <laughs> uh, I have pretty much just kind of followed what Chameleon has mentioned. And, and that's actually most of them. If you think of a sloper, a sloper, it can go from the control box being on the ground sloping upwards a sloper also is where the control box is at the high point and the wire slopes down to the ground. Okay. An inverted V is the high point is in the middle of the wire, you know, just floating in free space. And then your control box is down at the ground and the end is down at the ground too. Uh, there are inverted L, which is control boxes at the ground, horizontal wire, and then it, you know, goes up vertically. There's all kinds of different configurations. I think the point though that needs to be reiterated is it doesn't matter. I mean, yes, they all propagate differently, but you're kind of picking the config because of what's available to use. Okay. Right. The sloper comes in handy for those people that have like a ham radio tower or a tall tree that they can Mm -hmm. hoist the control box up into and then have the wire come down to ground or vice versa. As far as the, the sloper goes. It's really just a matter of using what you have and building off of that. Okay. That's the that's the key point. I don't know how to model some of the wilder ones, though. There may be a way to do it, but I don't know how to do that. 
All right. Well, congrats again, Casey. The next email is titled, This 104-Year-Old Oakland Seed Company Makes Traditional Cooking Possible for Asian Americans. And this is from Brian. Oh, cool. We've talked a lot about, you know, the Victory Garden. And mm-hmm. I think you took a little bit of a jab at me on, oh. on Instagram. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did. That was very funny. The joke was something about spending $145 on gardening supplies. And in four to five weeks, we'll have 25 cents of, <laughs> of vegetables. Which I took offense to because yeah, I actually... Because you you're bringing it up right now. Yeah. <laughs> because I've actually grown a lot of it's things. It's a joke. Yeah, I've grown a lot of things. These are the so, jokes. Just saying. These are the jokes. I was rather punchy that day, too. My entire <laughs> stories were just... It was after I discovered that the... Uh, the power meter. Oh, you were so upset so about upset. that. So upset. You, I think you, were, you came up to me and you were like, "I am so mad right now." And I was like, "Did I or the kids do something?" Because so <laughs> we're just over here minding our own business. <laughs> no, so mad. Are you going to explain what no. you're mad about? No, no, no. no. The uh, <laughs> the power meter. It's one of those smart power meters that that reads your power usage and it doesn't doesn't require somebody to come well within a certain range it's transmitting and i was just so frustrated um i was kind of at this point where i have everything i know exactly where the noisemakers are in the house sure i can shut off the noisemakers and i can get a, a decent signal so i'm at the point now where the electrical wiring in the home i'm picking up noise off of when i'm using a receiving loop whoa okay so things like dimmer switches but we have like really good luton dimmer switches all this stuff right there's these things that shouldn't be a problem are happening and they're like well you can get like a power line conditioner and i'm like i'm i do need to have an electrician come out for a a numerous amount of things but um i kind of got to this point where i'm like well what if it's coming in the home from the, the line? What or if it's something? not coming from inside the house? Right. What if, what if it's something else before it gets to the panel? And then you're, so, just, you're just looking at everybody wondering no, I, who's I have, got those hydroponic I grow stupid, lights. I have a stupid Gandalf <laughs> staff with a loop antenna on the top of it. And I go and wave it in front of electronics and go, you shall not pass. And then I ferrite the crap out of it. And the neighbors don't look at you weird at all. At all. I mean. <laughs> I'm traipsing around, pointing the antenna at them. <laughs> the robe doesn't You have, have been deemed unworthy of RFI suppression. <laughs> And so I, I I had the loop, and I was going around with the 705, and I'm holding a radio, too. So, of course, you know, it's, like, even yeah. even better. Uh-huh. I look like and the wizard a hat. really low-rent, like, Star Wars away team, or Star Trek away <laughs> team member. You just, you're a very bad LARPer. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm holding, like, a dumb... I, I should actually just wear a Star Trek uniform and dress up and, and make it look a little bit more high-tech. People would be like, that's more reasonable than this person that I'm seeing what, doing what What color doing. uniform would you wear? Blue. Science officer. Come on. Really? Yeah. All right. What are you talking about? Okay. What else? I mean, <laughs> as, as a red uniformer, yeah. I'd be dead. <laughs> I, I, I'm assuming on an away mission, like, okay. at least one out of three red shirts dies on any away mission. Mm-hmm. So I would go with blue. Science yeah, officer. Not green. Green? Yeah. What's a green? Isn't green O'Brien? No. No? Is he also wearing blue? He's gold. 
Oh, gold, right. It's like a mustard. So, gold. all right. I kind of I, I kind of yeah, okay. flip the script on you a little bit. Uh, there are two colors that have been engineering and have also been like uh, leadership or the officer class. Red is both engineering, depending on which series you're watching, mm-hmm. and flips back and forth with gold. Ah, in, in I some see. cases, depending yes. on which series, mm-hmm. Chief O'Brien was generally in gold. Okay, at least that's my understanding, as far as I can. Why remember. do I remember him in green? Is that racist? There isn't a green. <laughs> I know. <laughs> there isn't a green. I associate. Oh, it's just because he's Irish. Then <laughs> is it because he's O'Brien? Yes. Is that, is that what he's doing? Oh, sh- 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 he's doing a little dancing. He's like like a, an Irish jig. <laughs> yes exactly yes yeah that would be the you know oh, you didn't no. even have to say irish you could have just said jig but oh that was redundant, it was redundant. <laughs> <laughs> so i point my i point my gandalf staff of of rfi revealing at the um the breaker box yes and sure enough now I appreciate it everybody. Was you the whole time? I appreciate everybody's thinking, Josh. Of course, it's gonna. It is going to put out RFI, right? Of course it will. Of course. But then I kind of like move it over a little bit to the e-reader, the smart meter, and it's just pegged. It just pegged. The, it it just totally washed out the entire waterfall. So then you and I'm wrapped like, it in foil. Oh what? So I grab like three sheets of foil because if we're doing something <laughs> stupid, let's go all the way stupid. How dangerous is sticking foil on it's, the meter? It's fine. It's just probably not going to be radiating signals, and so the power company's going to come over and be like, "This is horribly not what you should be doing." <laughs> so I threw like three sheets of foil on the thing. Just give it a ferrite necklace. <laughs> I, I, I would if it wouldn't kill me because it's directly connected to the mains power with no breaker. It's okay. before the breaker. Okay. Right. So I go back into the shack, an immediate three three S units of noise gone. That's incredible. And that's with foil. So can you imagine <laughs> what that thing is actually spitting out? It didn't get rid of all of it. So now I've got to call the... Can you imagine the phone call that has to go on? I'm going to sound like... You already had this phone call. But but that phone call was, I am on my radio, and I am hearing um, noise, and I did a direction-finding experiment, and I found it was this pole. That's all highly steeped in practical reality, right? They've got a team of people that, that does these kind of investigations. This is dipping into a Venn diagram of crazy town. (laughs) Once you get foil out. No, no, no. No, no. Because, because there is a large subsect of people that massive, believe massive conspiracies about those smart meters. Oh. Yeah, there's some wackadoos out there. There's people that sell eBay kits of like, little holograms that you tape around the well, outside where do i get these they don't what? <laughs> i already tried them they don't work okay <laughs> i'm kidding so i'm gonna sound like a nutter because they already have heard from people they're like your your e-meter is giving me cancer i need you to get this out of here right but i'm gonna sound i'm gonna be i used my meters 
<laughs> and I've tested your equipment. And they're going to ask me, how much amethyst is in your meter? <laughs> how many crystals do you have in it? Can you contact the person who already helped you with the transformer box? I, I, I'm probably going to try and go that way. Because he's going to know you're not crazy. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Just, I just wanted to know how to get these eBay holograms so I could stick it on there before SE gets here. Oh, my God. Don't do that. That will ruin my chances. It sounds like... We got another one of these crazy people. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you can actually downgrade back to a dumb meter, but they charge you monthly for that. What? Yeah, because they can have less meter people... By going with the wireless meters. Then that is going to be the solution. That's well, what they're going to make you do. That's probably what's going to happen. And I'm a little bummed about that. And good luck to them, because George is a mini Black Panther, and he attacks everybody who walks <laughs> through there. <laughs> that's his domain. I should test George, see if he's putting off RFI. I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. He might have swallowed something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> He's full of bell fangs. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a little bit of a tangent, but. So uh, Brian writes in about this um, over a century year old Oakland Seed Company. Oh, yeah. Getting back he to says, the seeds. He says, good evening, Leia. Came across this and thought of your garden boxes. I have purchased some seeds from here in the past. And Brian links an article about the seed company. So this is the Kitazawa Seed Company. And I want to talk about this for a second. We are actually at the end of Asian American Pacific Islander Month. Mm -hmm. And I think I haven't even mentioned it on the pot. Maybe maybe I have. I don't know. Well, we definitely talked about Asian things. Asian hate. Yeah, I am. I am like deep into AAPI education right now because I'm teaching Edison's preschoolish class Mm -hmm. twice a week, and Mm -hmm. that was the theme for this month. But this company is hey Leia. Yeah. If you were on a Star Trek away team and you were wearing a uniform, would it be yellow? (laughs) Yeah. Why are you like this? (laughs) It would clearly be a purple gray. Okay. <laughs> that was Deanna Troy suit. It was a purplish gray. You better I, I would be just the stop while you're ahead. <laughs> the the empath who in yes. multiple episodes she never said anything when there was obviously an emotional thing happening and she never <laughs> or for episodes they just didn't have her on because if she did she could end the episode in five minutes. <laughs> oh, they're lying. <laughs> Yo, those are Romulans. <laughs> Don't know if you caught that. So the Kitazawa Seed Company has an amazing story. And it is that they provided the seeds for Asian Americans to cook their traditional dishes. Mm-hmm. The... Uh, different vegetables and herbs that were used in traditional Japanese cooking um, and other, you know, other Asian cooking, but this is obviously a, a initially a Japanese company. People couldn't find those in grocery stores. They had to grow them themselves. Okay. And their business actually went through a very hard time because the owner 
and his family were interned in the internment camps. Oh, wow. And miraculously, they were able to restart the business when they were released from the internment camps. Right. And to this day, and it, they still sell seeds, and they have some of the most prolific um, seed uh, vaults. That's awesome. You know? Uh, so I'm going to drop the link in the show notes so everybody can take a look at what the Asian American traditional seeds that are available uh, with Kitazawa. Thank you so much, Brian, for that link. Yeah, great link. Thank you. Because I, I have shopped Kitazawa before and had no idea about the history until I read the article he sent. Cool. It's like that jelly company. Yeah. Uh, what? That jelly company you like? They were like... Oh, Bon Maman, mm-hmm. who uh, basically sheltered Jews mm-hmm. during the war. Like, cool, interesting story, you know? Yeah. Like good yeah. World War Two. And now trivia. I always buy that jelly. <laughs> You're right. Uh, thank you so much, Brian, KN6OEG. Thank you. The next email is titled, Ham's Preparedness and Getting People into the Hobby. And this is from Marvin. Leia and Josh, last week there was an email questioning the need for ham radios as a preparedness measure. I think it was from Grayson. Here is my take on the subject. I live in a rural area near Lexington, Kentucky. A couple of years ago, we were blessed to receive fiber optic cables in our hood for internet access. Mm -hmm. Goodbye DSL and slow internet. Hello, internet super highway. Yes. Rather than continue to pay for an unneeded landline, we dropped the line and made the switch to cell phones only. We did the same. Mm -hmm. Uh, I realized that we now had a single way to make contact with the world outside and got me ham licensed. Nice. General, oh, technician and general license in one setting. Good for you. To give me an alternative means of communication. I currently have a Baofeng that I can use to contact my local Aries group. Yes, I'm a member. And a repeater in Lexington, 13 miles away. I will eventually add to my equipment and get a mobile and HF radio to increase my options for communications. I'm also studying for my extra now. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Two incidents have recently occurred that reinforce that decision. On December 25th, 2020, in the early morning in Nashville, Tennessee, a bomb was exploded in the front of an AT&T switching station. The gentleman responsible took pains to make sure that no people were injured, but cell phones were useless until repairs were made. My wife and I have Verizon, so we were not affected, but my friends and neighbors had useless cell phones for yep. a couple of days. Yep. On May 8th, 2021, there was a cyber attack on the Colonial Pipeline Company that cut off the supply of gas in the southeast U.S. Mm -hmm. The attack was traced to Russian hackers and a ransom was paid out, but not before a lot of pain was inflicted. That was the gas shortage. That was the effect. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that you guys got out in California, heard some news of this, but were far enough away that there were no direct effects. That is true, actually. Um, interestingly, while gas prices were going up on the East Coast, they were slightly dropping in California. Wow. Yeah. Our gas in Kentucky comes from, oh, and I will note that our gas dropping 
still is, was more expensive than some of the prices I saw in the shirt right. areas, right? Uh, but the problem was people just couldn't even get the gas, regardless of what it was priced. I mean, I filled up a bag of gas just in solidarity. <laughs> I filled up a laundry basket. Yeah. Didn't hold up. Didn't hold up. <laughs> Did you see that, actually? Yeah. Well, my favorite was somebody had a picture of like a flood, a flooded home, like after a proper flood. Uh huh. It was like a basement. Yeah. And it was like waist high in just brown water. And the comment was, I have successfully filled half of my basement with gasoline. I am oh prepared. My for- <laughs> oh, my so God. So funny. So funny. I don't... All of those people who were transporting fuel in methods that were not safe to transport fuel, I can't even imagine what their cars smell like right oh, now. Oh, I am... How do you get out the gasoline smell? Burn it. You gotta burn it out. That- <laughs> It's the only way I know of. That is not a good I, idea. I didn't hear uh, any backlash of like... Explosions? Right. Like yeah. people hurting themselves. Yeah. I kind of expected to hear more about... I uh, but mean, but we are on the West Coast, so maybe we're not hearing a lot maybe. about what's happening on the East Coast. But I mean, that, that picture made the rounds. It was like the trunk that was filled with like four bags of gas. Yeah. Like that's a lot. Like... Yeah. That is super dangerous. I think somebody um, was saying that there was even a shortage on funnels because people were like, how are you going to get the gas in your car? And (laughs) there's a funnel shortage. And somebody goes, you just snip the corner of the bag. It's its own funnel. (laughs) What are you talking about? I would also like to watch that. That (laughs) is going to get gas all over the place. Sure. sure. Because you know that those, the, the, the gas tank receptacle has that door. Yes. You need the funnel you need to, to push prop the door open. open. Yeah. You don't just snip the bag and like, eh, the gas liquid pressure coming out of this bag <laughs> will push the door open. No, it won't. I mean, not no. most of the gas anyway. No. Uh, Marvin continues, our gas in Kentucky comes from a different place, so we weren't affected. But I grew up in Alabama and have a lot of relatives and friends down there. It was hard to find gas and people were hoarding. I heard stories of people waiting up to three hours to fill up their car. Dang. Both of those incidents were isolated, but looking at them, it's easy to see how a concerted effort could do a lot of damage to our ability to communicate. We live in troubled times and depending on one way to communicate is not prudent. The Nashville incident knocked out cell phones in multiple states for a couple of days. Mm -hmm. The pipeline incident disrupted gas supply for about a week and was only ended because Colonial agreed to pay the ransom to get their system released. Yeah, I believe that the the ransom was paid in Bitcoin. Really? Shortly after the ransom was paid. It was a massive devaluation of Bitcoin. Wow. So they turned. So they sold it immediately. No, no, they um, they lost money on the ransom. So the dollar amount that was paid out. Okay. They received the Bitcoin, mm-hmm. and then Bitcoin dropped. <laughs> mm. Thanks, Elon. Yeah. Well, that <laughs> that's possibly what did it too. Luckily, the hackers stuck to their agreement and released the data when the ransom was paid. A concerted effort with multiple targets can cause major problems. This is very true. And as we become more and more technology dependent, mm-hmm. the the infrastructure becomes more and more vulnerable, right? In, indeed. And, you know, 
consider, this is, you know, just for some of you, uh, we have also an electric car. Yeah. In our in our home. You actually were contemplating getting another electric car. And I told you there's no way that we are going to be a household that doesn't have a gas car. I didn't say replace your car with an electric car. I was going to replace my car with an electric oh. car. I was going to buy another electric car and sell my electric car. I see. Huh. Well. So consider that, too. If you have a power grid but gasoline is difficult to find, mm-hmm. all of a sudden an electric vehicle becomes really effective. There was actually a really douchey guy that was driving past the lines in his Tesla, like waving at people and making TikToks. See, this is exactly That's why... Important. That is why people get yeah, upset Yeah, this with, is with why people don't like Tesla drivers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tesla has become the new Prius. Remember, like, Prius had the whole smug thing? South Park did that whole... It was a smug cloud. Yes. All the yeah. pollution. The smog went away because everybody started driving Priuses, but the cloud that replaced it was the smug cloud. Right. I mean, the other reason that people <coughs> don't like Tesla drivers are Teslas are actually not well made. And they have an f- extremely low satisfaction rating. Yeah. Well, and anyway. they're really expensive. So they're a status symbol. Right. Right, right, right. That is not great to own. I, I know there's a lot of people that are happy with their Teslas. I'm not, sure. I'm not sure. throwing shade. I also know somebody whose child got stuck in their Tesla. Yeah, because of the door thing. Yeah. 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 Fun times. And I've seen so I've just seen so many Tesla fails. Man, I if I haven't said this enough, Elon Musk is the modern day Lex Luthor. Okay. <laughs> that is I do not like Elon Musk at all. And he's also a pump and dumper, which makes me even more upset because he uses his Twitter to pump up cryptocurrency. Oh, I thought you were talking about his like legacy with women and all the children he has. No, oh wow, he's like seven kids. Sure, sure. I meant the I thought fact that's what that you meant. I was he, like, whoa, he directly <laughs> takes advantage of the people who respect him enough to follow him on Twitter, right? Sure. And then he will tweet about some coin pump up the price everybody who actually likes him believes in him mm-hmm. so they buy into whatever crypto he says he's going to support right and then he'll turn around sell off a bunch at the peak leaving all of these people that that supported him holding the bag a- after wall street bets and gamestop all bets are off we have an influencer based market now it's insane, though. It's, it's crazy. It's totally crazy, but it's a thing. Like, people are getting into the stock market for the lulls. Like... I, <laughs> I, but I've got I've, I've to stick to what a horrible person Elon Musk is. Uh, if, anybody, if anybody, regardless of your feelings of Elon Musk, there's a YouTube channel. His name's Thunderfoot. Just look for Thunderfoot. He has... <laughs> But Thunderfoot, I think the O's in his foot are actually zeros. Oh, maybe. Okay. So he has he has done a significant amount of videos explaining why many of Elon's claims and products that he's developed do not deserve the fandom he's received. He he has made many videos on the Hyperloop. I made a video on the Hyperloop. I think it's still live. I think I called it Jack of Orkins Toboggan. <laughs> When I got the white paper, I was so shocked by what I read. And this was the unedited you white were, paper. You were ranting about this for a good week, I yeah. think. When <laughs> you I, were so upset. I was so upset, too, because I had a, the man, a manager, the, the guy I was working for, he was the one who introduced me to it. And he was so 
just this is amazing elon musk is going to revolutionize travel and i'm like okay let me take a look at this thing i came home and i read it and i was shocked what that thing said and this is the pre-edited version of the white paper they modified it significantly but i was like this for just a couple of bullet points this is really bad and then there's many layers of problems that goes into the whole design. And I ran the numbers. Yeah. And it would be cheaper to fly where between where the Hyperloop was going mm-hmm. than to take the Hyperloop. It was San Francisco from LA. Yeah. Yeah. Cheaper to fly than to take the Hyperloop and get... And what would it cost to take a catamaran? Not be... <laughs> you could do that. You can go from Long Beach to uh, San Francisco. Not by catamaran. You could. I mean, you'd have to take some fueling stops, I think. <laughs> anyway, we don't want to turn this into a ranting about Elon podcast, but... Could we? Could we start a different <laughs> podcast where we rant about Elon Musk? Day 47. <laughs> That's where we bring out the hard alcohol. <laughs> well, so... Just doing shots. <laughs> so to tie this back into Fast and the Furious... Oh, no. Oh, no, no. Not Fast and the Furious. Sorry. Iron Man. He okay. was in Iron Man too. And remember I he pointed was, him out? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You were like, do you notice he doesn't have the hair plugs yet <laughs> every time you bring that up? Anyway. Okay. Keep going. Okay. My point is, Marvin continues... Our systems for communications are fragile. Hurricanes knock down towers and flooding shorts out electrical circuits. Hackers shut down companies and bombs destroy buildings, equipments, people. Engineers always build redundancy into systems, and it makes sense to do the same in your personal life. Yeah. I know your kids are into scouting, and their motto of be prepared is very good advice. As far as getting people into the hobby, as mentioned above, I entered for preparedness reasons, and I know this is a big thing in the prepper community. I get that. But if I was marketing ham radio, the number one thing I would emphasize is the versatility of the hobby. It's kind of the old to teach his own mentality. Mm Mm-hmm. Personally, Poda and Soda don't interest me in any way other than proving my equipment works and that I can properly set up and use it to communicate. Digital modes scare me because you are depending on the internet. If things get bad, that may not be an option. That's so that's not true. That that gets I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. He's talking specifically about digital voice. So DMR, D Star, Yesu System Fusion. But that's only if you want your digital mode to long haul to some other repeater that's not within RF range, or if you wanted to use a hotspot. You can use digital modes on local repeaters, simplex, anytime you want. The internet does not affect that at all. I don't know how this this got, and I'm not saying he's guilty of this, but I don't know how people came to this assumption that if we lost the internet digital modes would stop working they absolutely will continue working but they'll just work line of sight i think we have reached a point where people cannot um get their minds around the concept of decentralized internet access or decentralized digital anything Mm -hmm. because everything is so wired into these major companies sure right anyway uh, so I totally understand. It was confusing for me, too. Right. And then what makes it even more confusing is that's just digital voice. 
if you're talking about like just digital data that we do over HF, well, there's no internet involved in that. Mm -hmm. I can just text message chat with whomever I want on HF radio and it goes beyond line of sight. Great. That's, I mean, that's, that is the, the preparedness mode that that most people should look into. Anyway, sorry. Marvin continues, I can see the value in CW because not many people know it. So it could be a way to send a message that if intercepted could not be understood by everyone. Making DS, DX contacts is a fun way to test your equipment. It's possible to send a text or video with SSTV and just being able to monitor the Red Cross or other emergency services could be invaluable in a situation. Enjoying the podcast. Thanks for what you guys do for the hobby. Marvin, KY4CPA. Thank you. Thank you, Marvin. Appreciate that. I actually want to touch on this too, because somebody brought it up, I think, in the Facebook group Mm -hmm. um, on the topic of getting people into ham radio. Okay. And it was the idea that CB radio should be like the entry to ham radio. I, I understand what he's saying. And I'm not saying people shouldn't use CB. Mm-hmm. I think another note was that he was saying that ham radio operators are actually not that um, appreciative or open-minded about CB. I, I just don't think that's true. Uh, there are some, sure. There are so many that are like that, that you know don't want to be involved with CB. But you know what? Those people also probably don't want to be involved with ham radio handhelds. They don't want to be involved with repeaters. They want to do HF ham radio, traditional old school ham radio. They don't want to do Arden. They don't want to talk on satellites. They don't want to do any of that stuff. They're very set in what they enjoy and what they want to focus on. And that's okay. And that's fine. But the thing to keep in mind, too, is... We already have a hard enough time explaining ham radio and getting people to understand what it is without then also trying to have this new step where you start out with a CB radio and have to explain people all the pitfalls, good and bad, aspects of CB. But keep in mind, many of the people that are licensed hams today found ham radio after being cb operators right that was the point and i wonder it's, what makes somebody go from cb to ham radio they what? want to get off of the channels of cb that are that can be in some cases just full of people doing dumb things cb requires no call sign you set up an antenna and you can just yell at people oh it's the twitter of radio Basically, it's channelized. There's no frequencies. You scan through channels and you talk to people. A lot of times it's very cordial. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's a total train wreck. All right. Down where I am, where we are. I would like to try some CB radio. Down where we're at on CB, there's a lot of train wreck. Oh, man. A lot of train wreck. I found ham radio from shortwave listening. Radio listen. Hmm. That's what led me and also from being uh, adjacent to some hams and Boy Scouts. There's many paths that people take to ham radio. Sure. But I don't know that ha- as ham radio operators, we need to pick something outside of ham radio as, no, this is the step you have to do. 
Sure. You can start with a ham radio. You don't have to have a And I don't think that that's what I don't think that that's what the poster was advocating. I don't think he was well, he did advocate that. He said we should tell people to get CB radios. No, we shouldn't. We should tell people to get their license and get a ham radio. Well, no, that um that you should view CB as entry level ham radio. Yeah, but I don't think CBers want that. Okay. I don't think CBers would want to be referred to as entry level ham radio. Okay. And it's fair not. Enough. It's its own thing. It's its own thing that has value. It has its own goods and bads just like ham radio does. But again and again I I don't think anyone is saying that it isn't a gateway to ham radio. Okay. Again, some some bad people do, but most people don't. But ham should not be encouraging people to use CB radios to become familiar with radio use. I, I don't know why. I don't see why. Well, because why. CB doesn't require a test. But but owning a ham radio doesn't require a test. Oh, so listening? Yes, that's what we've always said is listen. Get, up, get your radio, program it, and listen. Winning t-shirt design idea All right, here we is go. the title of the next email, and this is from... Alan, greetings, Leia and Josh. I finally thought of a winning t-shirt design idea for your merch. Here it is. Okay. A likeness of the wonderfully weird Christopher Walken as he portrayed record producer Bruce Dickinson in the SNL skit, More Cowbell. Okay. At one point in the skit, his character proclaims, I gotta have more cowbell, baby. But instead of that line, substitute, I gotta have more coax, baby, printed on the shirt above his likeness. What do you think? The idea came to me one day as I uncoiled an 18-foot section of coax to connect my HT to a PVC J-pole antenna hung on the gutter of my screen porch. The section of coax didn't reach as far as I had hoped. The SNL skit immediately came to mind, and I exclaimed to my partner, who was also on the screen porch, I need more coax, baby. As you can imagine, she gave me the strangest look. By the way, I took and passed my general exam on May 13th. Congratulations. Congratulations. You can do it, too. You got this, Leia. Keep up the great work. You do got this. Thank you. You do got this. <laughs> Yours in Ham Radio, Alan, K4WSD. Your shirt idea is good. Yes. The concern as... Christopher comes, Walken's face. Christopher Walken's <laughs> face. I don't own the rights to that man's face. I mean, I could make a derivative kind of like the way well, we did We did this, the, the Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but Freddie Mercury was like very clearly defined also by the jacket, mm-hmm. right? And I don't know how I could do Christopher Walken's face. Just a big Christopher a big Walken's face. Derivative. <laughs> uh, Alan uh, ends the email with, P.S. I have to address Josh's use of the idiomatic expression, a tough road to hoe. <laughs> That phrase contains an idiosyncrat substitution of road for row, yes. and the original idiom is a tough row to hoe, which means to be in a difficult situation or to face multiple problems. I feel so much better now that I've shared this. <laughs> you and many other people, but I must ask all of you that have corrected me, have you ever tried to hoe a road? <laughs> 
What do you think is going to be harder? <laughs> it's truly a tough road to hope. <laughs> you just won't. You're never going to give it up. I, I've actually, it, I wouldn't call it doubling down, but the more I thought about it, it's like, no, it's still accurate. Can you imagine some jerk with a hoe trying to break up concrete and asphalt? Right, much harder than a much, long row. Much harder. Yeah. <laughs> arguably. And also the worst tool for the job, which is actually a commentary in a couple of things, both that it is difficult and also this person does not know what they're doing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Alan. The next email is titled, Hello Again, You Two, and this is from Chris. I've worked on a new antenna design that works for permanent installations and may be portable. I am on the final revisions of a 3D printed part and wondered if you would like a kit to build. I would love to build it online with y'all. 73 Chris W9TSB. I would. Board All me right. that email. Yes, I will. I will get to the forwarding right now, sir. Leia might not be on the air with us, but we can definitely set something up. That would be fun. Yes. Okay. So the next email is titled Learning from Failure. And this is from Rob. Hi, Leah and Josh. First, you guys are great. I appreciate all of the thought and work you put into the podcast and videos. After last week's podcast, I imagine you have been pummeled with emails from people telling their stories of learning from failure. In hopes of a four-hour podcast, I'll pile on. <laughs> like okay. many others, I first found Josh's videos while trying to program my Baofeng. I followed his instructions like a good boy and bought the real deal Josh-endorsed official Baofeng programming cable good for, for Chirp. Good for you. It didn't work. You didn't do it right. I thought, what the crap? After several failed attempts with Chirp, I took the plunge and learned how to program the radio manually. At that time, I was a no-code extra with a Baofeng, trying to encourage other prepared-minded friends to get their license. I gave one friend a Baofeng UV5R, and they responded by buying 10 more as gifts <laughs> for their friends and family. Jeez. And then they looked at me, the supposed expert, and asked if I could program them. Oh, no. <laughs> I tried Chirp again, but could not get it to work. I really hope we, this is good. So my 2019 Christmas present to them was was programming all of those Baofangs by hand. Oh, that was not the, to all the local repeaters. That was not the answer I was hoping to hear. I thought, what could be worse than programming 10 Baofangs by hand? And then came 2020. <laughs> Bro. In the process, I lost some of my sanity, but got really good at programming Baofangs manually. Leia, there ought to be a pin or merit badge you earn by programming 10 Baofangs without chirp. I'm training for Aries and was listening to a podcast with an Aries district leader. He was deployed to an area after a tornado, and there were many hands with Baofangs that had to be programmed for a local repeater oh, in the field. Bro. Nobody knew how. The leader had to learn how to do it manually without the aid of videos. His time was spent doing that instead of all the other things oh, he was expecting to do. Guys. My takeaway, one way a ham can help after a disaster is being able to quickly program Baofengs to a local repeater manually using only a hard copy of the ARRL repeater directly. 
So Josh, there may be a painful video needing to be made about the importance of knowing how to program Baofeng's <laughs> manually. I try to reprogram a few repeaters each month to keep the knowledge current. Leia, this is a friendly challenge for you to learn how to program local repeaters manually and report back for one of your preparedness moments on a future podcast. You will learn a lot about your radio and will be able to make good guesses as to which repeaters have a plus or minus offset and the amount of that offset just by knowing its frequency. So um, I actually did manually program some repeaters, but um, by scanning. I would scan. You scan, you found a repeater. And then... And then we had to determine the offset, yeah. whether it's positive or negative. That, and that's making an assumption right. that they and are I did using one. standard offsets. And I did one. And you did one. Uh, I did... I believe we had to look up the PL tone, though. The PL tone is what yeah. you key up and it opens up the repeater. Mm -hmm. I would not do that again. I think I did one and I said... One repeater. Uh, where's, where's the, the cable? cable? Yeah. <laughs> By the way... Rob continues, only recently did I discover the reason that I could not use Chirp was my computer had a faulty port. <laughs> it was a frustrating experience, but I'm glad I went through it. <laughs> I, 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 um, I don't often say, well, okay, I get a ton of questions in personal, direct emails, all that stuff. If you are staring down the barrel of having to manually program 10 Baofengs and you have the good FTDI cable and you can't make it work, please send me an email. <laughs> that is Ten terrible. Baofengs. That is terrible. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry that I, happened to you. He is feeling your pain That's in rough. a very visceral way That's right now. rough, my dude. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So there are now, uh, this is, now this is, this is my area, right? I, I may not be able to build a circuit, right? I can read a diagram, but I'm not like homebrew and stuff, but this is my area. IT is something I'm very confident in. Um, there are some pitfalls to programming a Baofeng via a computer. However, once you get those sorted out, Oh man, is it so fast and it so easy? It is so fast and easy. It Truth. is ridiculously fast and easy. And if you watch my videos and you can't replicate that on getting the Baofeng running, it's generally like one of two things. You didn't push the cable in hard enough into the Baofeng, or you're, you've got some funkiness going on with the USB and you need to change ports. If it still doesn't work, Try a friend's computer or try another computer and see if the cable works with that computer. Okay. I'm telling you, there should not be this many complexities sure. to programming a Baofeng. It should be very straightforward. Then maybe swap your cable if, well, if those things there, fail. there have been um, a couple out of the, I don't know, thousands of these cables that have been sold, more than that. Uh, there are some that arrive dead on arrival. And the way you know, if you bought the good FTDI cable, if you plug it in, to your computer, and the red light is just flashing off and on, off and on, off and on, uh, you may have a bad cable. That is very rare. I've only ran into that a couple of times. So for those people, yeah, it, it can happen. But that's extremely rare. And if you bought it on Amazon, which I recommend, you just ship it back and get another one. Replace right. free. Well, Rob signs off, not trying to be last, 73, Rob, KI5GFL.
Well, Rob, that is a, that is definitely a story. That's <laughs> tough, buddy. Uh, yeah. Well, it sounds like he got it up and running, yes. which is great. But, and learned oof. some valuable lessons. Yeah. Now he's the the fastest Baofeng programmer <laughs> in the continental U.S. The next email is titled, Thank You, and this is from Brian. Josh and Leah, after enjoying the video streams and podcast, I decided to reach out and thank you and those who produce similar content. You're so welcome. Thank you. I did the first... I did my first Parks on the Air activation recently and successfully activated K-7145 Minnesota Valley Recreation Area with a total of 82 QSOs, 78 being voice for FT8. Good for you. I owe the motivation to get out and try due to Jason KC5HWB's videos, Josh's content, and Michael KB. Nine VBR's videos. Very Due good. to stress at work, it seemed like a great way to get outside and enjoy the hobby at the same time. I managed some DX contacts, including a Canadian station up in the Northwest Territories grid CP38 and one in Hungary. The latter was especially exciting because I wasn't familiar with his prefix. I am already planning a one night stay at K2517. Especially exciting as I wasn't, fam- oh, I'm sorry, uh, St. Croix State Park at the start of June, and I am excited to spend time outside. I don't know that I'm anywhere near trying soda, but I haven't ruled it out. Josh's gear breakdowns make it seem more attainable. Oh, thank you. My portable setup includes 45 watts worth of solar panels I got from a coworker, cool. charge controller, and a... Uh, 60H lead gel battery I got for free from a local ham. I feel very lucky, even if the battery isn't terribly portable. After my POTA, I decided to upgrade to power poles and purchased a distribution block that includes a volt ammeter so I can watch the power use. Nice. All of the positivity and excitement is getting me thinking of taking on and learning CW or earning my amateur extra. It would be nice to have the latter, if for no reason that I don't have to sadly spin the VFO away from DX stations calling CQ just outside my general sub-band privileges. I started into it before, but the RF theory content was a bit to wrap my head around. I've included a t-shirt design that isn't terribly clever, but reflects HRCC well. It would feature a simple picket fence and gate with a red circle and line through it with the caption, no gatekeeping. Josh and the others at HRCC have cultivated a positive group where folks are welcome, regardless of their ownership of Baofangs or no code status. No questions are dumb and everyone learns from everyone. It is a refreshing break from the drama and turmoil of the real world. That's awesome. Thank you for the kind words. I would like to remind everybody listening that um, the the mods, myself included, and Leia, we are a small group of people, and the HRCC podcast uh, Facebook group is larger than ever, and the Discord. Yes. It takes a community to police the no gatekeeping concept. If you find stuff you don't find appropriate, report it. 
Yes, and if you Facebook. don't know how to find the Facebook group, it's in the show notes, as is the right. Discord and everything. So it, it's um, all of us in this together. The mods need all the help they can get. Uh, so make sure you report, make a comment, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And the, I mean, the best thing that any member of the Discord or Facebook could do is they themselves not be gatekeepers, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Live, live the dream. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, thank you both. I hope to have the chance to meet you and thank you in person. I appreciate the effort to bring the hobby of old men talking about medical problems on 80 meters and repeaters into the future and show off all of the exciting aspects. Brian, K-E-0-R-I-Y. Oh, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. The next is titled Ocean, Ocean, Ocean Oscar. And this is from Andrew. Okay. Leah and Josh, I just wanted to write and say how much I appreciate the podcast and the YouTube channel. Josh's YouTube channel is responsible for getting me into amateur radio. It was something I had it that hadn't much occurred to me except for one friend who was a ham, but he had never told me much about it. I saw Josh's video about the FCC fees coming across my YouTube feed. I watched it and was intrigued. I also saw the possibility of saving myself a lot of money, which I'd rather not give the government if I don't have to. <laughs> I used Ham Study mostly along with the KD6NU book uh, to pass tech and general March 1st. Congratulations. Yeah, congrats. I ended up passing extra on March 31st Ooh, wow. using that strategy. Even bigger congrats. Yeah, congrats. My son, who is 11, has also passed his technician and is studying for his general with the help of Gordon West's book on your recommendation. Good luck That's to your awesome. son. Yeah, good work. I will admit the podcast at first was much too long for me. <laughs> I would try and fast forward to the episode topics. For some reason, one day I listened longer and realized I had been missing all sorts of other info, too. I need to go back to some and listen to what I missed. The length has grown on me, and now I truly enjoy all of it. It reminds me of the Seinfeld episode where George says he gets into someone's head like a commercial jingle. Costanza. <laughs> it's in the Kenny Rogers Roasters episode. <laughs> oh, that's the one the light is killing Kramer yeah. for the Roasters sign. Well, thank you, Andrew, for that compliment. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're an earworm is yeah. what you're saying okay i appreciate it yeah i mean come on the, most, the majority of what we're doing uh the, the largest chunk of the podcast is answering these emails yes and we've already had a ton of ham questions in yeah. these emails yeah but then also totally random stuff like biosphere 2 yeah and what color do star trek people wear you know it's like that's it it, it can't there's no way that anyway i'm rambling. i mean but the truth is mm -hmm. that a, a part of uh normalizing ham radio is going to be talking about ham radio in the context of yeah. having a normal conversation it has to be something you can go in and out of without you just doing that thing so right. intently that right. it becomes off-putting right to the muggles and that <laughs> And really, the hope is uh, that when you are listening to the podcast every week, you tune in 
and listen to Josh and I just talk about whatever and ham radio. Right. That that encourages you or at least reminds you, hey, let let me get on my radio. Yeah. It should just be as convenient, as simple as just having a chat. Yeah. It doesn't have to have a lot of feeling and pretense behind it. Mm-hmm. Andrew continues, the subject heading comes from something I had heard listening to a POTA activation. The hunter called and the activator had trouble with one part specifically. He couldn't copy ocean instead of Oscar for the O in his sign. Yeah. The hunter repeated at least three times ocean across multiple requests to resend. The hunter finally gave Oscar and the activator got it immediately. It was a case of where the non-standard alphabet was causing clear confusion. T-shirt idea. Something working with the idea of never a minute or an hour or two hours, etc. in reference to the podcast. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Working in a clock and maybe a gray line depending on how long the podcast might be. Thanks for all that you guys are doing for the hobby and keep up the great work. 73, Andrew, KB6NU. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, K-O-A-W-G. He came back and uh, corrected the no-nonsense guide that he used. Yes, no-nonsense. That's KB6NU's no-nonsense yeah, guide. good stuff. And also K64IA Easy Way Guide. There is a uh, podcast I listen to called How Is It? How Did This Get Made? Mm-hmm. Which is about bad movies, and they question, sure. they review the movie, but then like the overarching question of how did this even get made? Mm-hmm. Like how is this a thing? And someone will make some kind of weird joke, and somebody will draw the picture of like what the the joke was, <laughs> and then that will become like a shirt. And we did that with like cat cups, right? Cat cup shirt yeah. is is literally an inside joke from the podcast. Uh, so there, there's a lot of shirts out there like that. The it's never a minute is not bad. That's kind of funny. Um, there, yeah, there's a couple of ways to play that. And if we make it, Andrew, you're getting one. Oh, yeah, we didn't mention that. Yeah, all these shirt ideas. If, we, if you send us a merch idea uh, and we make it, the person that recommended it will send you one. I, I haven't had a lot of time to sit down and design, yeah, you, so I crazy apologize. Busy. But we do have a backlog of things that we're going to make. Yes. So that's great. Um, and I also want to note... You've kept notes of all these shirt ideas, right? That we yes, they're called emails. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, but I mean, like, <laughs> even the ones that are off the cuff, like when we're, yeah, sure. when we're just vibing out mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I do want to note that the last three emails that I read are actually from today. Okay. There is clearly a race to be last. We are Because there in is today. one, two, three, four, five more emails from oh, today. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And you're just going to have to wait till the end of the email correspondence tower to find out who made it last. <laughs> yeah, that's generally how that would work, Leah. Yeah. You're going to have yeah. to wait till we're done reading the emails to yes. know which the last one was. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Works out. <laughs> Hang on to your butts. <laughs> the next email is titled, Getting Licensed the Hard Way. And this is from Sean. Hi, Josh and Leah. Greetings from the most excellent town of San Dimas. <laughs> Anybody you catch guys that have reference? our raging, raging waters. No, did you catch the, re- the <clears throat> reference? Bill and Ted's. Okay, good. Yeah, thank you. I wanted to start out by sincerely thanking both of you. The prodigious amount of excellent YouTube Ooh. content Josh has created 
is truly a gift to the ham community. But then you both took it to 11 and started dropping hot pods for everyone to enjoy. Hot pods. In my opinion, the podcast manages to strike a perfect balance of knowledge, hilarity, and more serious topics we can all relate with. And the fact that you both sit down and record it every week in lieu of, you know, sleep is amazing. (laughs) And I I suspect every other podcast listener, except maybe those with an affinity for torn notebook manifestos, is as grateful as I am for what you both do. (laughs) I just came up with a shirt idea myself. Yes. Okay, it's like a handy talkie. Okay. Okay, handy talkie. Uh, But it's the Sailor Jerry tattoo style. Okay. Okay. And it's got a scroll work on it. Okay. And it says normalize it. Wow. Normalize it. You're you're so excited about this one. (laughs) Put it down in your notes. Go ahead. I... Type it up. Type it up. You know, normally I would just be like, I... I don't think that's going to work. But then mm-hmm. you made that, <clears throat> you had me make that. Uh, Resonate, radiate, <sighs> propagate. You thought that that was the dumbest thing, but it was, what, <laughs> what's, mm-hmm. what, what's that What's that line? Mm-hmm. Smart, uh, mm-hmm. I can't remember it. I'm too tired. Uh, <laughs> but it was like dumb as a fox. It, it was a reverse play of the smart as a fox kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, it was so dumb, it was smart, uh, kind of thing. Normalize it? That's exactly like with a radio? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Keep going. I, I wanted to get into ham radio for years, but never seemed to find the time. The dumpster fire that was 2020 got me thinking a lot about emergency preparedness as I started looking into ham radio, the same dude kept popping up at the top of the search yeah. results on YouTube. Well, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to know it's still working. <laughs> <laughs> the HRCC YouTube channel led me to the podcast, which has really resonated with me. Ooh. Oh, snap. See what I did there? <laughs> <laughs> you don't explain the joke. You never explain the joke. Is how accessible, fun, and inclusive you both make the topics. Your content got me excited about ham radio, and I was so inspired that when a friend told me his ham radio club was resuming license exams a few months ago, I decided to sign up for an exam session about five weeks away, so I had to commit to finally start studying. As a challenge to myself, I then decided to set a ridiculously high bar and attempt a zero to extra Obviously, the first thing you do. (laughs) Obviously, the first thing (laughs) you do. The first thing you do. That's right. (laughs) With a little over five weeks to study for all three exams, since I almost certainly still still learn a lot in the process, even if I failed. A friend recommended the website Ham Test Online, and even though the site did a great job of explaining the concept, part way through the technician material, I started getting overwhelmed by the amount of new information I was trying to quickly grok and Ooh, there's a good reference. And was discouraged until I stopped and asked myself, WWLD, what would Leia do? <laughs> oh wow. That's there's amazing. a shirt. There's a shirt. <laughs> Week after week, good practice test results or bad, you stuck with it no matter what. 
Thank you. Now you have to make a Deanna Troy <laughs> colored armband. That would be WWLD. Embarrassing week after week, honestly. <laughs> Thank Show you. up. I doubled down and set aside an hour or two every weekday morning before work, two or three hours every weekday evening. Wow. That's... And even more hours on weekends to study. I ended up working through every question in the technician pool before moving on to the general material and likewise worked through every question in the general pool before moving on to the extra material. I figured the best way to increase my odds of achieving my goal was to get comfortable with every question in all three pools. So after working my way through everything I spent the last week before the exam, iterating through the review material and questions, the day before the exam, I took a day off work and spent the day cycling back through all 1,499 questions to make sure I was confident and prepared. 10 out of 10 would not recommend brain melty melty. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I bet. Despite all the studying, I was very nervous the morning of the exam and had trouble concentrating at times due to the talkative VEs. Hindsight pro tip, bring earplugs. But the more questions I answered, the better I felt. The end result? Mm-hmm. I passed all three exams wow. in one session with a perfect scores on all three. Whoa. Holy. So he's that's a lot of studying. Wow. That's a lot of studying, particularly on the extra, not missing any on the extras. Very impressive. Wow. Sean is the real MVP. Yeah, that's very good. Since I finally just received my vanity call sign, K9CSE, I love dogs and am a Linux system administrator in the computer science and engineering department at a university. Right on. I wanted to finally write in and thank you both for acting as the catalyst. That's I am just so impressed. That's very impressive. Good job. that, That is... Especially since I'm going through the general exam right now, Mm -hmm. like the questions. Oh, my God, that is so impressive. Yeah. Finally, I have one last thing to wrap up this lengthy email. About a month ago, I drove to HRO to pick up an order. And on the way there, I was listening to the latest HRCC podcast that had just been released that morning. As I waited at the counter for my will call order, I briefly wondered why the podcast had started playing again in really high fidelity. When then I realized Josh was actually in the store. <laughs> Which of one course, was it? Of course you were. Is it Anaheim? I is there is there another HRO you're going to? <laughs> it's yeah, I just go to all the HROs and put my videos on and leave. I mentioned I was a fan and Josh could not have been nicer. I was the guy with the giant red beard. <gasps> oh. That's oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. I thought he was talking about my video was on the store. I misunderstood. Yeah, no, I, I met him in person. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? Which HRO? Yeah, he was, <laughs> picking up, God, he was picking up like audio gear, I believe, too. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah that was cool. That was fun talking with him. Afterward, I messaged my dad, a ham since 1970, who now lives out of state, to tell him the story. And after I mentioned how awesome HRO is, he fondly reminisced about going to the store somewhere in Anaheim yep. called 
Henry radio as a teenager back when he was getting his first ham radio. That's the same location. Really? HRO bought out the Henry radio location. Wow. Or bought, I don't know exactly, bought out might be the wrong term, but they're, they're in the same location. Out of curiosity, I did some digging online and discovered that HRO Anaheim was that Henry radio yep. location. 50 years after my dad got his novice license at at 14, I've been waking up, walking up to the same counters in the same building as I begin my ham radio journey, and neither of us had any idea. That's cool. That's a good story. Damn, someone must be cutting some onions. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again to both of you for everything you do for the ham radio community. 73, Sean, K9, CSE. Thank you, Sean. And nice to meet you in person. Very cool. Yeah. Thank you for the kind words. P.S. Hello to Charlotte from my three corgis, Fett, <laughs> Hans Gruber, and Drago. That's funny. <laughs> Drago or Drago? Drago. 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 Okay, that's from Rocky. Too. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop the pictures of your adorable corgis to join the HRCC corgi army. Yeah, we have two corgis. Now we have yeah. three more. <laughs> and the ranks have grown significantly. Maybe these need to also be turned into emojis. The emoticons. <laughs> Charlotte Just... and Ethan's dog is also emojis. Yeah. <laughs> we make corgis into emojis. Thank you so much, Sean. The next email is titled Incoming Transmission, and this is from Ivan. Greetings to Captain Leia of the Battlefang ship and to that other guy hanging out on the bridge. <laughs> this is... And the person with the green unitard on. <laughs> this is Russia 2 Alpha Zulu Romeo speaking. I have an important message to be relayed to you. It's a topic of... <laughs> Its topic is a matter of life and death. Now listen. It's been almost a year since I received my ticket to this world of wonders invisible to the uninitiated, though of course my journey started a little earlier. In the last days of March 2020, I made the decision to get a ham license. The purpose was highly practical. I believed it would save me and my various radio gear, which at that point had included a couple of bow fangs and lots of rather high power RCFPV transmitters from any potential questioning by authorities and or non-authorities. So I found out about the procedure and tried to test a couple of times and began searching for information on those questions I didn't know the answer to and some of the ones I that I guessed right. I did score a good percentage right away due my, to my electronics background. I quickly realized that I needed some kind of book that would have all the basic knowledge a new ham requires compiled together in one place and that there was no such ham starter pack book to be found in Russian. So I found a book in English that filled this role, and the book was called Ham Radio for Dummies by Ward Silver, N-0-A-X. It was awesome. Yeah. I literally spent three whole days reading it nonstop. See, all my life, I had this conception that ham radio was not much more than a bunch of boomers making formal contacts with topics limited to weather and antennas for the sake of writing them down and getting a certificate. I had no idea there was so much beyond that. The book both showed me the true extent of this hobby 
and taught all the basics and also a number of useful non-basics in a lovingly made interesting package. I highly recommend this book to anyone wanting to get started in the hobby. Three days later, I was already passing all of my training tests for category three and most attempts at category two. Unnecessary side note, Russia has four categories of ham oh, radio license. I did not know that. I need a, I need a good uh, Russian creator who wants to come on the channel and, uh, and explain the Russian licenses. The lower, the better. Cat 4 lets you use VHF okay. um, and up at 2, 5 watts and is not internationally recognized, so it's generally regarded as useless. Cat <laughs> 3 is equivalent to the CEPT novice and lets you use up to 10 watts on all bands. Categories 1 and 2, the equivalent to the full CEPT license, mm-hmm. Upgrade your max power to one kilowatt on HF and 100 watts on VHF. Cool. Each of these tiers has its own call sign pool, so you have to change your call sign when oh, you upgrade. Interesting. That's kind of like how the uh, the Brits do it or people in the United mm. Kingdom. The exception is two to one. They have the same base pool, but one lets you apply for a four-character call sign, so you can keep your old call sign when you upgrade if you don't want it. That's the only difference, though. There's no point in upgrading unless you want to change it. End of side note. Anyway, so I'm all pumped and about to register for the exam. And that very evening, the news comes in that the city administrating is imposing a very restrictive quarantine policy, effectively closing off everything not strictly necessary, which means no exams for the foreseeable future. After that, there was a long three months of me practicing the hell out of those bits of ham radio that I could practice without a license or any new gear, also unavailable due to quarantine. Oh, wow. I I would read up on anything ham related I could find. I would spend about an hour each day practicing CW on lcwo.net. Nice. Awesome site, by the way. I would tune into all the local repeaters and with my Baofeng, listen to those other guys with licenses without the option to get in on the discussion. One of those was echo-linked to various repeaters in the U.S. and U.K., so I'd spent whole nights listening to American hams on my Baofeng. It was the perfect kind of torture, like watching the outside world through a one-way window. Mm. Waiting for the quarantine to end was excruciating, but that transmissionless participation did teach me a lot of things. Finally, in June, most of the quarantine restrictions got lifted, though more due to politics than actual epidemiology. And the first thing I did was sign up for my exam. I got the second category test with only one mistake, and I would have gotten the first without any issues if not for the code requirement. I found HRCC shortly after receiving my very own sequence of five characters that I've been craving so much. And while I obviously didn't need any more exam preparation material, there was a buttload of things (laughs) that I could now explore in theory. In practice, though, I quickly realized that me living in an apartment without access to the roof meant that any large stationary antenna was close to impossible. Yeah. And in particular, uh, that I could not have an efficient stationary HF antenna. 
So while I had lots of fun with local VHF on my Baofeng, operating from all sorts of locations and making lots of antennas out of stray wires and snot, (laughs) HF seemed really challenging to get into. I bought myself a portable 23-watt HF receiver and played around with some dipoles whenever I was outside of town, which was not that often. By the end of summer, I had a bit of HF listening experience and zero contacts and had stopped trying due to the fiddle factor. While I hoped and hope to this day, I'd get on HF, the idea of packing a whole backpack full of gear, spending hours setting up the antenna just to try getting on the air without any guarantee of succeeding didn't seem so appealing. In addition, the fact that all my tools are at home while the testing goes on in the field makes troubleshooting any electrical problems really painful. Can I interject something really quick? Yes. You only feel that way like the first couple of times you do it. And I don't take a backpack full of gear out. And I know that he is limited in what he has access to, but I don't think he necessarily needs to have a backpack full of gear either. Um, so that, that, that can help um, significantly. Um, what, was the, what was the second part of that too? Where he was, oh, the test tools and equipment and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can still set up everything in your, in your apartment. And you can you can test it. You can make sure it works. Your whole kit, even your big dumb antenna, you know, your dipole or whatever you're going to put up. You're just really checking to make sure it's close enough to mm-hmm. the SWR you want it to be. Your your apartment's going to wreak havoc with it and make the SWR seem higher than it really is. Which, granted, if you're in the field, you may have to do some little adjustments. Uh, but if you if you practice setting up at home or in the front yard or whatever yard you have available to you, it, that pays dividends on the back end when you actually go out and work portable if you can set it up at home where your tools are, mm-hmm. right? Once you get it all set up and locked down, uh, then it's just a matter of assembling and taking it back down. And that literally takes like, you know, 10 minutes, 30 mm-hmm. minutes at most for like some big bigger antennas. But, you know, keep going. Sorry. Okay. So I went full on into higher performance portable VHF UHF and bought a Yesu VX7HT built a hiking pole Yagi uh, with an attached, uh, there's an attached image. I'll drop it in the The discord. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And did all kinds of fun stuff around a lot of it inspired by HRCC. Then on the first day of my trip to Kamchatka, the Yesu burnt... I'm sure you nailed that. Yeah, I'm <laughs> so good at it. The Yesu burnt down and I was left oh, again no. with only one Baofeng once more. It did its job... How did it burn down? What? I, I don't know. I don't know. It did its job fine, keeping comms throughout our hikes into the local volcanoes, though some masterful fiddling was required. In particular, this HT has a very aggressive squelch, which would shut off perfectly readable R4 to 5 signals on the lowest setting. Yeah. So that was the only way to hear any responses to disable it entirely. Yeah, I was just going to say, just turn it off. Don't know if it's common with Baofengs or just my particular model. Yeah, the the Baofeng squelch is either like very loose or just totally throttled down. I think I leave my squelch at like, setting one maybe Hmm. at most five 
Fast forward to now, I feel quite proficient at operating HTs and have no problems working VHF, UHF in most conditions and got myself a proper radio once again. However, I'm still entirely an HT portable guy. I don't climb mountains from which I could go a long distance all that often and simply talking on repeaters or local simplex is getting rather boring. It's not worth the trouble of going whenever I could get a good signal path and staying there for a duration. I'd love to just chill with my radio on, but the windows at my new apartment point away from where most of the hams and repeaters are, so I have to go to the common balcony to be able to communicate comfortably. Despite all that depressing situation, here's some good news. Listening to the HRCC podcast and to a lesser extent YouTube has rekindled some of that fire that was driving me forward when I was getting into the hobby. So currently I'm ready to expend some energy to try to get some new to me stuff in ham radio. I'm planning to resume my HF in the park experiments on the weekend and hopefully succeed in getting my first HF QSO. Good for you. I've resumed my daily 10-minute CW drills, and I'll probably try to hit some sats on VHF, UHF, as well as when I upgrade my portable Yagi to dual bands. Wow. Very good. That's awesome. That's great to hear. Still, I feel that in order to make the hobby sustainable, I also need to carve out some kind of ham radio comfort zone within which I could play with radio every day without expending any significant effort each time, such as carrying gear, installing slash removing antennas, etc. I guess for most hams, that would be their shack at home. But it seems that my current location is far from optimal in that respect. There's nowhere to mount a stationary HF antenna, and the UHF VHF antenna mounted in the window would point away from all the activity. So for either frequency range working outside is preferable. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to hear your thoughts and suggestions on both points, exploring new things to do with ham radio and creating that ham radio comfort zone all in the name of keeping oneself motivated to do stuff and continue hamming. I mean, this goes back to the, the failure is the way sometimes is that you got to try a lot of stuff. I was going to say uh, in your apartment, once you throw a wire out the window, tune it up. If you've got a tuner, um, even if it's facing away, from- no, you just literally throw it out the window and let it hang. I'm talking for HF. Okay. Uh, just, just throw a wire out the window and let it hang. It's not the best antenna. It's not going to be the most effective antenna, but um, that is much easier to do, you know what I mean, than to set up this some kind of contraption that you have to reel out or assemble or whatever. Just try it. See what happens. Throw, okay. cut, cut the wire to resonance or use your radio to figure out where that resonance spot is. Make adjustments. Your radial can just be kind of running around your apartment in a, in a big loop or whatever. That's what I do. Um, when we go to hotels, sometimes I just throw a wire off the balcony and that's it. Would it be worth it to try to find an apartment that is on the other side of the building? <laughs> yeah, but again, I'm talking about HF. Sure. I wasn't talking sure. about VHF, UHF. Yeah. If it's, I mean, yeah, sure. Get, get an apartment on the other side of the building and then just use your Yagi and point it out the window. I mean, I don't know what it's like in Russia. Yeah, we, we're yeah. we're totally just yeah. going um, off what we know. Where we are, 
usually if there's a vacant apartment and it's the same size, there's not a huge issue yeah, with cares. just moving your lease over to right. uh, a similar you know, yeah. empty unit. Uh, Ivan signs off. Thank you for everything. And I hope I've shortened the podcast enough. From Russia with love, Ivan Yuvarov, R2AZR. Hey, thank you, Ivan. And, and thank you for your story. I appreciate it. That was uh, thank you. good walking us through the, con- the the licensing system and then kind of your experience with it. You know, it, it's going to be different for everybody. I appreciate the um, the tenacity you're showing in, in trying things out. And I think you just keep keep that up. Yeah, thank you for the kind words, too. Mm -hmm. The next email is titled, An Unfinished Thought, A Theme Song Idea, Throwing Down the Gauntlet. And this is from Matt. Leah and Josiah, I sent an email earlier this week and left a thought unfinished and wanted to clarify it. Josh is absolutely right about the experimentation with electronics. Let some of the smoke out. Components are cheap and you learn more from failure than success. Um, And Matt is the safe tech Mm -hmm. that we heard from earlier. What I left unsaid is that the company attitude gave me the confidence to learn almost uninhibited. I always try to make smart decisions and take care, but I I wasn't afraid to try things. And that is how I can approach electronics and antennas. I have two thoughts on your theme song for the correspondence leaning tower of emails. Java by Al Hurt or the Mana Mana song by the Muppets. Manamana. 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 <laughs> now I must throw down the gauntlet respectfully to Nathan. This is the last email. Neener Neener. 73 oh. Matt K7. Well, she didn't Y-E-G. say it. Y-E-G. There's two more emails. I'm, oh, I'm sorry, Matt. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> it was a valiant effort, and your confidence was <laughs> strong. Thank you for following up to clarify. <laughs> the next email is titled, Hello, and this is from Dallas. Hello, Josh and Leah. Listening to the newest podcast while I write this first part. In line with the correspondents who are writing in and talking about the speed they listen to the podcast on and asking you to lengthen or shorten the pod. So I listen to this on one speed and would appreciate you increasing the length of the podcast. (laughs) I heard on a ham radio podcast a few weeks ago, I think it might have been ham radio workbench, that they held the medal for the longest ham radio podcast which was true, and the podcast was four or more hours long. It is my belief that HRCC needs to take that honor. Half kidding, lol. (laughs) We would have to start earlier. Yes. That would be the only way. Yeah, please go ahead and throw down that gauntlet when you talk to Ham Radio Workbench, okay? (laughs) I I am not, because then people are going to talk about it. On the note of what I said a few weeks back about y'all should consider the idea of moving to Missouri, just got to say, loved your responses and completely agree with you, Leah. Family is very important when considering where to move, and it is advantageous to be somewhat close to them. But I also wanted to add this thought y'all might find very uh, find it interesting. Missouri just passed a law that I believe was named the Second Amendment Preservation Act. 
From my understanding, it basically states that law enforcement is not able to enforce any past, present, or future federal law that regulates and constricts the ownership and purchase of firearms in the state of Missouri. That's a law right there. I also heard that a few other states passed legislation that made any suppressors manufactured and sold in their state exempt from federal taxing and regulation. I'm glad to see laws popping up across the United States to protect and preserve our Second Amendment rights. Anyway, I thought you would find this information interesting. It is. Look at that. States' rights also defending the Second Amendment. I mean, that's. it's kind of funny, though, that we need states' rights to defend the federal Mm -hmm. law. Federal is even the wrong term. The Bill of Rights. Well, I mean, really, (laughs) isn't isn't the fundamental separation now between the two parties having to do with states' rights? Right? Somewhat. Somewhat yes, somewhat no, right? Because at the end of the day, they all want to wield the the powerful gavel that is federal law, right? Because if you make it federal, then you have to make all states scramble to create their own law to try and subvert that, which arguably should not be possible because if it's a federal law, uh, particularly, and and I'm I'm conflating the two the two terms, and I and I apologize. If it's if it's a part of our inalienable bill of rights, you should not be able to make a state right that alienates that. Period. Right. Um, but because of the way the Second Amendment was written, it does leave some interpretation to be had. Sure. People who are much smarter than me in terms of. This kind of stuff, constitutional yeah. law. Constitutional law is, is such a niche area. Oh, it's crazy. That most attorneys... They don't want to touch they it. They don't even... That's not in their wheelhouse. They're like, right. I don't I do not do constitutional law, And then period. you talk about SCOTUS, where until very recently, they avoided even dealing with the Second Amendment as much as possible. We do have something that's coming up, though. Yeah, uh, talk about the Second Amendment at the the Supreme Court level, which I am anxious. Anxious would be I'm neither excited or or worried about it. Um, I'm just anxious by the whole idea of it. So, anyway, yeah. All right. Well, Dallas continues. Leah, on my early practice test for the general, I was scoring in the single digits. So don't feel bad about your first practice test score. <laughs> I do. It's really, it's a sad, sad score. Uh, Looking forward to hearing more on field day or whatever subject y'all decide to bring to us this week. Have a great Memorial Day weekend, 73s and 88s, Dallas. Thank you. Thank you, Dallas. And now we are on the last email. This is titled, Weekly Thoughts of K1MAZ Nathan. (laughs) Congratulations, Nathan. You did it. (laughs) Dear Josh and his landlord. (laughs) Oh. Thank you. Thank you for the video about your mobile setup in your car. I enjoyed it each time I watched it. I like being able to see videos early As a YouTube channel member, I recommend anyone listening to be one of Josh's members on YouTube. You get to see the videos early. It's true. It is just 99 cents, $1.99, or $2.99 a month for different levels. To be clear, I don't know that there is a huge differentiation. The badges are different. Yeah. And I think the 
the emojis might be different. Oh, really? I, I have to figure out how to do that. I may have that enabled. I, that is something I need to do if it's not. Okay. So I had been thinking about putting my 50 watt TYT 9800 in my car, and your video made it seem a lot easier than I thought. Thanks. I'm trying oh, to cool. send this email later than usual to attempt at being last. Otherwise, <laughs> we can start a competition for the first email. Would that be an accomplishment? <coughs> By the way, a fellow listener emailed me that their favorite email from me was the pig puns email. Now, I know Josh is not much into puns, but Leia loves them. Like anything in ham yeah. radio, trial and error. I do love puns. You do. Uh, 73K1, M-A-Z, Nathan. I don't hate puns. Some are uh, arguably much better than others. You are a big pun eye roller. Yeah. 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 Thank you, Nathan. And congratulations on being the last email. <laughs> and it sounds like somebody has already tried to beat you to first email. But keep in it mind. It sounds like there's a new competition. There is, there is a thin line between first and last. <laughs> that is a very interesting uh, concept. <laughs> Yes, that is true. That is very true. All righty. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for emailing. Well, Leah, it's time. It is time. For the general prep. You're starting a new, new week, test today. New test. New test. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Take it away. All right. Question number one. What is near vertical incidence skywave <laughs> or invis propagation? We've talked about this. A, double hop propagation near the luff. B, we definitely have talked about the luff. But propagation the... near the muff. <laughs> C, short distance MF or HF propagation using high elevation angles. D, long path HF propagation at sunrise and sunset. Those so here's a this is a good question because those are all legitimate answers for something, but only one of them is envis. Near vertical incidence sky, sky wave. wave propagation. Well, I'm gonna go with short distance MF or HF propagation using high elevation angles. You got it. Yes. Fantastic. The vertical. Yes. Is the word. Yes. The vertical. If you remember the vertical. I'm going to just call it right here. Vertical. I'm going to call it right here. I got 100 on this test. I'm going to call it. <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling good, guys. I'm feeling great. I'll see you in the bathroom. We're taking the test right now. I got 100% on this test that I quit after the first question. <laughs> Going out on top. <laughs> Uh, question two, which of the following properties is most important in estimating whether an RF signal exceeds the maximum permissible exposure, Ooh. MPE? A, all of these choices are correct. B, it's frequency. C, it's power density. D, it's duty cycle. A, all of these choices yes. are correct. Ha ha. Very good. And those those are all things that are a factor of, of looking for MPE. Excellent. Question three. 
what does the A index indicate? The what? The A index. Oh, this is one of those questions. Yes. A, the relative position of sunspots on the surface of the sun. B, the long-term stability of the Earth's geomagnetic field. C, the solar radio flux at Boulder, Colorado. D, the amount of polarization of the sun's electric field. I'm going to go with D, the amount of polarization of the... No, it's the long-term stability of the Earth's geomagnetic field. Great. I kept you going, know, and that's what I got. You know, A. <laughs> really, that letter makes so much sense for that purpose. Of course. <laughs> uh, question four. Which of the following would reduce RF interference caused by common mode current mm. on an audio cable? Mm. A, adding shunt inductors to the conductors. B, placing a ferrite choke around the cable c adding a series capacitors to the conductors d adding an insulating jacket to the cable i'm going to go with b placing a ferrite choke Put around a ferrite the cable when in doubt choke it out hey i'm at like three out this of four is... right now i don't even know what's happening this have you is... been studying no i have not are you lying to me i'm not You've got you. You you've got a certain swagger about you right now <laughs> with, uh, with taking the practice exam. I'm not. I haven't received one piece of communication from Gordon West about my general <laughs> test. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> it's all riding on you, Gordon. <laughs> uh, question five. Which of the following conditions requires the licensed amateur radio operator to take specific steps to avoid harmful interference to other users or facilities? A, all these choices are correct. B, when using a band where the amateur service is secondary. C, when a station is transmitting spread spectrum missions. D, when operating within one mile of an FCC monitoring station. What? This is one of those, like, kind of tricksy questions. Read, read the question again. Um, I'm going with C, when the station is transmitting spread spectrum emissions. No, A, all of these choices are correct. Yeah. Great. Um, so what was the question again? I put it away already. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So I can obviously pull it back up. Which of the following conditions require a licensed amateur radio operator to take specific steps to avoid harmful interference to other users or facilities? Yeah. Okay. So it's saying, basically, when should you consider not transmitting? That's really what they're saying is, when should you be mindful of when you need to either stop transmitting completely or move around a little bit. Okay. okay. When you're a secondary user, meaning amateur radio is like at an extra privilege to be able to talk mm -hmm. there. We're not the primary user. Mm -hmm. If the primary user, which is the military, hops on the band and they're using it, obviously don't transmit there. Mm -hmm. If there is an FCC, which that one's weird because how would you know? Unless it's like a permanent installation. You don't know. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and then the other is the spread spectrum. That one's tricky because we're not you're not really going to know either because you don't have a spread spectrum receiver. You're going to get maybe little blips and bloops of a digital signal or some kind of disjointed voice. But even voice, you're not going to hear because that's not how spread spectrum works. So it's yeah, that one's kind of a bad question. Just remember all of the above for that one. There's very we we already saw two all of the aboves, but that's an example of all of the above. So is that is that the fifth? That's that's the fifth. Okay. All right. So that's three, three out of five. That's that's seventy five percent. Wow, that's pretty good. That's an Asian F. well okay leah thank you for again the tenacity and sticking to taking the test and 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 trying to make a go with it so you're doing you're doing good you're doing good kid thank you good work thank you i love it when you call me kid that's just the best (laughs) (laughs) all right so i want to remind everybody this is a big weekend we obviously have the youtubers ham fest again look for those playlists the playlists are going to show you what's coming next and youtube does a good thing of showing you which video is live at that moment or premiering at that moment and we are we are both having live videos and videos that have been pre-recorded that are premiering which is going to be good because some content does not need to be live uh, it, it sometimes is better if it's a condensed thing that just is a premiere so we've got all of that covered it's going to be great please go to youtubershamfest.com for more information All right, so today's topic, we're continuing going down the field day rabbit hole. There are so many fun and interesting things that you can do in field day. Again, I will remind everybody, if you do have access to a ham club, reach out, understand what they're doing for field day, and see how you might be able to get involved. I think you'll enjoy it. I think you'll have a lot of fun, particularly if it's your first field day. The best way to experience field day is with a club. Keep that in mind. There are a lot of things that are pitfalls to field day that that can kind of ruin your day um, out there. But I I always argue, kind of like fishing, even if you skunk out completely, uh, a day of fishing is going to be better than a day of work, a day out in the field attempting to play ham radio, even if you're not successful, is still going to be more fun than, than just dinking around at home or doing whatever it is you're doing. But today we are going to be talking about my field day tactics for making lots of contacts. And I argue that as you're listening to this, you're probably facing a good long weekend, including a Memorial Day, a Monday that we'll have off. Consider trying to set up your field day equipment this weekend. Maybe drag a laptop out there so you can watch all the uh, great YouTube content while you're setting up your radio. Imagine that, watching ham radio videos while you're setting up your ham radio station. Oh, man. That's ham radio overload. Your wife will roll her eyes so hard that she's going to get eye strain. She's going to Your wife or significant other. He'd go either way, of course. But <laughs> All right. So here's here's a couple of my, just my, these and these are high-level tips. I think we're, we'll go deeper as we go along through and getting closer to field day. But I want everybody to remember that the goal here is to set up in the field. This is field day. The practical approach and desirement of this day is to promote being able to deploy a field-ready radio system. That is the goal. 
I know people work from home. I know COVID makes this really difficult to do what it is we would normally do. And for everybody who's experiencing field day the first time, and this is your field day to go off of, I want to say I'm sorry, but I think you can still make it fun and you can still find something valuable and interesting to learn and grow and, and, and experience and all that stuff. But generally, field day is where clubs go out into the field. Lots of club members all get together. They erect these big antennas, and they have a blast playing radio. That's really what it is. They spend a weekend out there playing radio, oftentimes going throughout the night nonstop, some of the the more um, hardcore clubs. But if you are, you know, lone wolfing it or you are going to be just working with a buddy or friend or whatever or your family, Field Day is a great, you know, event to bring the family in, get your kids on the radio as long as you're sitting with them. If they're not licensed, you get the idea. All right, so the first thing is I will recommend or I will say if all you have access to is VHF and UHF, you will be able to likely make contacts, but you have to appreciate that depending on your imp- your location, there just might not be any hams that are active at the time you're active. VHF, UHF being line of sight means that you are restricted to closer in contacts. Very important to keep that in mind. However, if you are going to make a go with VHF, UHF, make sure you are on 146.520 megahertz. That's where most of the action is going to mm. be. If you're out there and you're not hearing anything on 146.520, consider doing a scan of your radio, scanning around, seeing what's going on. Get a big pole and get your antenna as high as you possibly can. That is going to improve your chances of making VHF, UHF contacts. If you can swing it, go to a summit or a tall hill. Ooh, that is going to improve your propagation on VHF UHF. And if you have a Yagi or you want a fun project to do this weekend as you're getting ready or building out your kit, get yourself a cheap Harbor Freight tape measure and build yourself a tape measure Yagi. Ooh. <laughs> tape measure Yagis, directional antennas, and a hill. That's a recipe for awesome. all kinds of success. Some real field day homework. No, this is this is easy stuff. I think you, I can show somebody how to build a tape measure antenna in probably less than an hour if they just have no experience. Now, okay, so that's the VHF UHF stuff. All right, so for HF, generally in my experience, on HF, 20 meters is the hot band. During the day, it's where you want to be. It is where the most activity is. You will quickly find that there are more signals than you can possibly expect. If for some reason you are questioning whether your antenna is set up correctly or not, or you have some issue in the chain, get on 20 meters. If you don't hear activity on the single sideband portion, which is everything above 14.225 megahertz for the general portion of the 20 meter band, you've likely got something wrong. If you can scan around and just hear an absolutely saturated environment of signals, then there's likely a, a problem that you need to work on. But 20 meters is generally where I start field day. If you're working with other people, you may need to jump bands, or maybe you have somebody else that's going to work 20 meters. Just keep in mind, that is the, the band of what I have found the most activity in, in my years of doing field day. If you are starting out 
in field day. You've not really experienced it before. I highly recommend doing what's called hunting and pouncing. What's that? Hunting and pouncing is where you scan around the, 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 the HF frequency space on whatever band you're on, and you're looking for big signals and lots of activity. What generally happens is there's these contest stations or big field day stations that are running amplifiers and they've got really great antennas in the field and they'll, they'll pull a pile up. They'll be calling CQ, people will be coming back to them and they'll be making lots of contacts. Look for those if you are new and you're starting out. Look for them, listen to the traffic, listen to the exchange. They're gonna call CQ, someone's gonna come back with their call sign and then the station, the big station, will launch into their whole exchange, right? They're going to give the classification that they're running at, their ARRL section, and the number of the contact that they've made. You're going to get it really fast what's going on if you just pay attention to what this contest exchange is. Then you jump in there and you start giving your call sign really quickly. And by quickly, I mean fast enough that it is effective, but not too fast that you lose all meaning in the call sign. So Kilo India 6, November Alpha Zulu. That's I could probably make that faster, but sometimes it's not about necessarily fast. It's about getting really good quality signal and intelligible signal to the calling station. You'll make a contact, hopefully, after you get some you know, back and forth, you're likely going to have to break a pile up, as they say, get lucky a bit and hope your signal gets picked up. At that point, so that's the hunt. You hunted around the frequency. You found a signal. Okay. You pounced. You made a contact. Then you start hunting again. And you go up and down the band doing this. You're quickly going to find that there's going to be some contestations that are going to be like beacons. They'll be parked on a frequency and they're going to sit there for hours. Once you've worked a contact with them, you're good. You don't have to work them again. Uh, in fact, if you tried, that's a dupe. They'll probably tell you there are you're already in the log, and you know just a duplicate. And, and you can just reconfirm with them. It's like, oh, you did get my log. Thank you very much. Seventy three, and then head on to the next frequency. That's another reason why going back to the Hamrio minute, I mentioned um, using a lot of lo- like these loggers that are defined for field day or created for field day. They tell you if you have a dupe. So if you start typing in a call sign you're listening to and it says, oh, you've already made a contact with them like two hours ago. Great. Okay, cool. I don't have to waste time. Move down the band. Again, 20 meters is strong. It's going to be good. Find strong signals. Try and make contacts with them. That's hunt and pounce and then just rinse and repeat. Hunt for the next strong frequency. Jump in there. Try and make a contact. If you have the capability that you have multiple antennas set up, 40 meters is also another good band to have, particularly at night. If you're in a situation where you're going to be able to play radio after nightfall, that is a great time to play radio on 40 meters. Works just the same. You're going to hunt and pounce a little bit. I would recommend that if you are going to be operating as the gray line passes, Gray line is where the sun is basically going overhead and you're transitioning from day to night or night to day. 20 meters is a good evening dusk gray line band. 40 meters is a good morning gray line band. These are just my personal experiences, my personal feelings. 
So use the appropriate band for so whatever you're planning on doing. If you're planning, I'm gonna on, blame you if I can't contact anybody by using your advice. Who's gonna blame me? Me. You're, are kidding. you gonna work field day? I'll put you on the radio. I was kidding, but maybe. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So keep in mind. Did just, you get the contacts? If yeah, you got to use my call sign. You're not a general. Wow. You're not a general. Wow. 40 meters is great, but keep in mind, we are in a situation where the sun is starting to get more active. There are more sunspots. We are a month away from field day, and it's entirely possible that we may see band openings in 10 meters and 6 meters. So for you technicians, everything I said, VHF, UHF, if that's the game you're playing because you're a technician at this point, that's all true. But if we see band openings, it may become possible for you to make some really long-distance contacts on the 10-meter technician portion or 6-meter portion. So if you have the capability, be ready with your computer and some radio to do 6 meters and and WSJTX. You will definitely, if, if there's a band opening on 6 meters, you will make a lot of contacts on WSJTX. We didn't dip into digital at all. I've done a couple of field days now and talked about setting up WSJTX and running all that. All those videos, you should probably go hunt those out specifically if you want to do digital modes. I think that for field day, it's always really important to still do some single sideband contacts or a lot, you know, if you want to. Uh, I, I definitely splash in digital as well. But those are my comments, my tips, my thoughts on making contacts, kind of if you're starting out. Uh, if you're a little bit more experienced, then some of those things will change a little bit. And I'm in no way a contesting expert. And I know Field Day is not truly a contest, but we are in it for making points. And we are How is competing. it not a contest? I they always People just like to remind you that it's not a contest. Well, we're all tracking points and there's a there's a top 10 you know there's a list of what the the, the top scores are so uh it's pretty much is, is a contest. that just a is that just a way to say that there's no reward no I, I think it's just a way of saying like it's it's supposed to be all for fun it's not supposed to be a big competitive thing but people take it very competitively so yeah if the higher bands are open be ready and again, that gets the technicians in play, and that's going to be super cool. So if you have an interest in doing that, consider getting ready now to get set up to do that. Anyway, that's, that'll do it for today. What do you think, Leo? Any comments? That'll do it. That'll do it. Just, uh, you know, tune in <laughs> Just for... Tune in. YouTubers have that. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, with that said, thank you all for listening to the podcast. We have a lot of fun making it. And the fact you listen and send us feedback means a lot to us. We'll be back again next week. But until we talk to you, 73. 73.